This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. We are back on a Tuesday, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? Hope you enjoyed your Memorial Day weekend. I took a couple days off, but we are back with big news. Sixers have hired their next head coach. We'll get into a nurse replacing a doc as Nick Nurse is the new head coach for the Philadelphia 76ers. And of course, the big question now is what happens with James Harden? We'll break it down throughout the day. What does the Nick Nurse hire mean for this organization? There's a lot to dive into. I like Nurse. He was kind of my number one choice at the top of the list uh, of the available guys that the Sixers were looking into. I think Nurse is a good coach um, for this team. I think he's a guy that gets the most of his players. Um, You know, we, we talk a lot about coaching in the NBA and what it means. I think Nurse is one of them guys that does more with less, and he won a championship with more. I mean, he had a team that won an NBA championship because he had a great player. He kept that team together after they lost Kawhi Leonard and kept it competitive. You know, a lot of times when you would look at the Raptors over the last couple of years, you would see a team that exceeded Probably the talent expectations. I mean, if you have a team that has Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam as your two primary players, you're probably looking at a team that is, you know, about middle of the road. That's where this team has been. And I think he got a lot out of them. What Nick Nurse is really known for is teams that play defense. He is very creative with his defensive schemes. This goes into what I talk about with coaching a lot. I think he has his teams well prepared on the days that they are not playing so that when they do have a game on that night, when you play the Sixers, they are prepared to play the Sixers. They are, they have a defense. They have a idea. They have something they want to do to try to defend Joel Embiid. They implement their stuff very well. The Toronto Raptors would, uh, would do. So Nick Nurse gets hired. You know, there's a lot of discussion about how this all happened, and you take a look at the reports out there that he was a candidate for the Bucks job, he pulled himself out of that job, he was a candidate for the Suns job, and that he preferred Philadelphia. For whatever reason, Nick Nurse preferred Philadelphia. So what does that say about where this team is? There's a lot of people out there that look at this team and say they're kind of stuck and they can't get any further. And what do you do? You have a coach out there who has won an NBA championship. Now, the funny part is the Sixers had Brett Brown. Fans hated Brett Brown. They felt that he was holding the team back. So what do they do? They went out and hired Doc Rivers, a coach who had championship experience. And many people looked at that as that was going to be the difference maker. You had Brett Brown, who had been, you know, the coach that was hired to kind of get them through this losing process. And then poof, they went from a team that was winning 10 games and 18 games and 19 games to winning 50 plus games. 
But people felt that once they got to the 50 mark, that he was no longer the right guy. So they replaced him with a guy who had a track record of winning a championship with Boston and being a well-respected coach. And three years later, fans wanted him gone. So now they bring in a coach who has won an NBA championship. Your guys' thoughts on that? 609-403-0973. Over at Mike Gill Show, you can vote in the poll uh, on this hire. Love it? Hate it? Eh. Almost 300 votes before the start of the show. And so far, 63% of you love the hire. 35% say, eh. And only 1% of you guys hate this hire. So it seems that at least it's a somewhat favorable hire by the Philadelphia 76ers. And you can vote at Mike Gill Show throughout the show. We'll keep updating that poll. Love it, hate it, or eh. 63% love it. 1% hate it. 35% say eh. For the people who love it, I'm interested to get your take. Because I I would say I like the hire. I mean, I'm not like, oh, man, why do I like this hire? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, for me, the most important part about coaching you're seeing with the Miami Heat, it is not about the in-game this, that, or the other. Eric Spolstra is a very well-prepared coach. He has his team believing. He sets the culture. We heard many times in this series about the Heat culture. They're just a more prepared team. They are winning these games on their days off, and that is why Boston is out. Boston has a coach right now that I think on their off days, he is taking a little bit more time to get his team prepared for game day. Now, it didn't help last night in that game. I'm not talking about game seven. You lose Jason Tatum in the first minutes of that game. Boston couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I think they were, what, four of, uh, they started 0 for 12. They were 1 for 13 at one point. I don't remember what they finished in the game last night, but it wasn't good. And I think Miami, if memory serves, I think Miami shot 50% from three-point range last night. I mean, you're not beating anybody when somebody shoots 50% from three-point range. It's just not happening. I mean, you you could have, you know, the Showtime Lakers. If the other team is going to hit 50% of their threes, you're in trouble. And Boston playing basically undermanned last night. Um, it didn't have anything to do with what Eric Spolster is doing in the game, but it will. I will say this. This is where I give the coach some credit. What the Heat do, they're very well prepared. They have a lot in their bag of tricks in terms of what they do on their off days, but they do a really good job, and I think this is where Doc Rivers maybe did not do a great job. The Miami Heat develop their players better than the Philadelphia 76ers do. They develop Martin, 45 minutes last night, 20. You could make a case that he was the MVP of the series. But Gabe Vincent has really given them a lot of quality games. Max Strauss, another guy. Where do they develop these guys? Duncan Robinson. He was out of the rotation, Duncan Robinson. And then last night, look, we talk about a make or miss and how much the coach means or doesn't mean. In game six on Friday night, if Duncan Robinson hits two wide open threes, we're not even talking about a game seven. 
you know, I asked my buddy, did Joe Mazzulla win game six for Boston? And he kind of said no. And I said, but you'll be the same guy that tells me that Spolster's the reason why the Heat are winning. So why isn't Missoula part of the reason why? And he said, well, Robinson has to hit that shot. I said, thank you very much. If Robinson hits the shot, the Heat win the series in six games, and this thing is over. It's a make or miss. And on Friday night, Miami didn't make. And on Saturday night or last night, Monday night, they did. They hit 50% of their threes last night. They hit 50%. 14-28 is ridiculous. Boston was 9 of 42. I got news for you. 9 of 42 isn't going to win you game seven. And it doesn't matter if Red Arbach was coaching the Boston Celtics last night. It's not going to do anything for you if you're shooting 21% from three. So where does Nick Nurse factor in with this whole thing? Look, here's the thing. Nick Nurse will be a guy that I think the fans will like. Why? Because Nick Nurse will play his guys. I don't think Nick Nurse is going to be blamed for having big leads get blown throughout the season. This is not a team that really, the Toronto Raptors, they push and play their guys. You're looking at a guy in Nick Nurse who probably will play Joel Embiid a lot of minutes, will probably play his starters a lot of minutes. The question about Nick Nurse, I guess, with this team will be, will he have more of a leash and more of a willingness to play younger players? Because when you look at the Raptors, the problem with looking back at his Raptors time is their rosters were kind of filled with a bunch of athletic wing-type players, very interchangeable type of guys. Now, he did win an NBA championship, if you remember, with a more traditional team. Who was on that Raptors team? Well, you had a point guard in Kyle Lowry, like a traditional point guard. You had a traditional center in Marcus Saul, right? A, a big man, number five. You had your number three wing player in Kawhi Leonard, who was like your classic small forward. You had... Uh, Pascal Siakam, who is, you know, your athletic four, who, and I'll get into Siakam and why he's an interesting guy in this whole thing in a minute. And you had a guy like Van Vliet, who, who could shoot coming off the bench. They had, um, who was it? Danny Green. Oh, yeah, Danny Green, that veteran presence on that team. But who's the guy that I'm forget? Oh, um, who, uh, no, Ananobi, not Ananobi. Who is the, um, a Serge Ibaka? Was he mm, yes. on that team, yes, right? Yes, he was. Yes, he was on that team, Abaka. So they had that veteran kind of defensive presence as well. So they had a more traditional team, that Toronto team. The big man center, the classic point guard, the slashing, scoring three. What makes the last couple of teams interesting with Nick Nurse, if you look through their rosters, you got a lot of wings. I mean, you just got a lot of – and the Sixers don't have that. I mean, this roster the Sixers have is about as opposite as you can get from the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors are just filled with slashing wings, and the Sixers are just like a plodding team that just doesn't have the athletic ability. So when I look at a guy like Pascal Siakam, one of the things, and I like Nick Nurse, okay? So I've done a lot of Nick Nurse studying over the last couple of years. What if you watch Nick Nurse and what he does with his defense? He traps, he'll change, box in one, triangle in two. I mean, he just changes his stuff all the time. He's able to do that because he's got Siakam 
running all over the place. Siakam challenges a bunch of threes. He's a guy who's long. He can get from side to side. And if somebody, you know, beats Siakam, he's got a big man who steps up. The Sixers have the big man, but who's the Siakam? So I'm very intrigued to see what Nick Nurse brings to this team defensively. Because if there's anything that Nick Nurse is known for, it's his defense. I mean, he has that similar to Spolstra, where he'll change the defense up. You know, the the Heat play and practice a lot of zone. I think the Raptors were a team that play and practice a lot of zone. You know, when the Sixers would play the Raptors teams in the playoffs, you know, the non-Kawhi ones, I think they played them two years ago. That team kind of gave them some problems. Why? Because they kind of went zone, they're undermanned, and they kind of showed in B different looks just yeah, because they hit, they're kind of undermanned. Yeah, they smacked in B in the face, and we all know the rest of that story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I like the hire. I, I said the nurse was probably my pick. But how impactful is it going to be? Well, that's the big question. 609-403-0973 is the text board. 609 609- 403-0973. Because, you know, everybody debates, what's the Sixers' biggest problem? What's the Sixers' biggest problem? Well, Stephen A. Smith this morning, there was a good conversation. We have a lot of sound that we're going to audio that we're going to play and kind of react to. But Stephen A. Smith, he said, look, I like the nurse hire, but it doesn't automatically fix the Sixers' issues. The Sixers situation was not a co- the problem was not coaching. The problem was who's that supplementary part to Joel Embiid. That's the question that hasn't been answered. James Harden is not what he used to be, even though he led the league in assists. Tobias Harris is somebody that you got there that I think is a, is a damn good player, but he ain't Jimmy Butler, who you elected to let go of. And but the bottom line is that's what ended up happening. I think you've got to alter this roster to some degree. Otherwise, Nick Nurse is not going to do anything that Doc Rivers couldn't do, that Brett Brown couldn't do, even though I consider him better than Brett Brown. So he said coaching was not the Sixers' problem. You're going to bring him in, and he's not going to do anything better than Doc Rivers or Brett Brown were going to do, even though I think he's better. Look, I would agree. If you ask me who's a better <laughs> Who's a better coach, Brett Brown or Nick Nurse? I would say probably Nick Nurse. But Brett Brown went toe-to-toe with Nick Nurse. If you remember that series, Brett Brown made some adjustments throughout that series. Now, the problem was he ran out of adjustments because they had Kawhi Leonard and you did not. But Brett Brown made a couple of adjustments that got the Sixers back into that series against the Raptors that year. So to say that Nurse is automatically a better coach than Brett Brown, I think we act like these guys are just running laps around him. You know, Joe Mazzola for three nights, <laughs> he had the betterment of Eric Spolstra. How do you explain that? I can. I can explain it for you. He had the better team. Mazzola had the better team. He's not the better coach. And in the end, the better team, I think, talent-wise, did not win the series because the team that had the better talent did not play well enough. Right. Well, they didn't execute. They didn't get the job done. There were there were multiple games in the entire postseason where the Celtics have, well, they've kind of played like dog do. So at some point... When you shoot like, 21% against a team that shoots 50, you're going to lose. Right. And they did that very often. You look at the Sixers series. This has been, by the way, 
This has been the Miami Heat the entire playoffs. Right, that's what I'm saying. They They're, are in this spot. This is who they are. Well, not really, because they were not like this in the regular season. This is not they what they were. They were injured in regular season. They were, but. They were the second most injured team in the NBA. Absolutely. That's one of the problems with the regular season for them is it wasn't a true indicator of who they were, but many of their players played way above their regular season stat numbers. Sure. Many of them went way above. And here's the thing. They never cooled off. The right. only time they really cooled off was for these three games. Right. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable the run of consistency they've had. Now, mind you, they lost to the Hawks in the play-in game, went to the second play-in game, and almost they were down to the Bulls in that game. Yeah. They win that to get into the playoffs and then never cooled off. But it's like the the guys on TV have been saying that, you know, guys like Legler have been saying that, you know, Miami is just tougher than you are. And the Boston wasn't. Well, and I think this goes to where the coaching did have the impact. Not in the game. Not on the floor. But in the preparation. In the preparations leading up to the game. And that's why you're looking at a guy like Nick Nurse and you say, he brings something similar to the table that Smolster does. Yeah, that's where, to me, I like the Nick Nurse hire. Because, to me, in these situations where if you play on Friday night and you lose that game and you have two days off to figure it out, what did... Spolster say after the game on Friday night that they lose disappointingly in a wild way. And you're thinking, how are the Heat going to get off the mat after losing the game at home? The Sixers, we just saw it happen. They had nothing left to bring in game number seven after they lose that game at home that they have it in their grasp. And Spolster says, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to get it done. That's where I think having a Spolster helps out. When you have someone who just loses that game and he feels the same way that we feel, like how are you going to get it? Spolster was unfazed by the fact that they lost that game, and he said, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're getting it done. Whereas I think Missoula, if he was in the same situation, is probably looking for answers. Right. And, and last night, yes, it didn't help that Tatum got injured at the beginning of the game. Well, that killed the whole game. But, like, the rest of the game, it felt like the whole team like was just, like, mailed it in almost like there were moments in that game where you were like do the Celtics are they trying to win this game like do they even care anymore well at one point of the game and I said look it wasn't like I, I said it wasn't like Spolster had some great game plan the score was 11 to 11 with like 10 minutes gone by in the first quarter midway through the game you're watching an NBA finals game seven for a chance to go an NBA Eastern Conference finals with a chance to go to game uh, to to um, a game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals with a chance to go to the uh, NBA Finals. Sorry, I've been off a couple of days. You okay over there? That was basically Caleb Martin against Derek White. <laughs> I mean, literally, Derek White was the only guy at one point that showed up for the Celtics. I mean, he was yeah. like, they were running their offense through Derek White because, quite frankly, just Tatum couldn't do anything. That was apparent right after that injury. So And Brown showed you nothing. Brogdon didn't really show up. Horford wasn't giving you much of anything. And Grant Williams looked lost. They had a bunch of guys who were looking around, searching for answers, and the Miami Heat team was just the more prepared team in that situation. Yep. Jimmy Butler 
who did not play well on Friday night. He came back on uh, Monday night, played much better. But it was Martin who really hit big shot after big shot. But they got big shots. You know, we talk about hitting 50% of your threes. You're talking about Duncan Robinson coming off the bench, giving you two threes in 20 minutes. Max Strauss giving you two threes in 28 minutes. Gabe Vincent giving you two threes in 26 minutes. You got production from a group of guys that you don't expect to get production from and that you didn't get production from throughout the regular season. So I think when you say, what does Nick Nurse bring this team? I hope it brings this team a different mindset and better preparation. But here's the problem. I think that's what Doc Rivers provided this team. I think Doc Rivers gave this team, you know, now maybe not in the playoffs when it mattered the most. You know, Doc, the whole playoff failures and all that stuff. But the whole Ben Simmons situation, he guides them through that. Keep in mind, all right, I want people to think about this. Because this next big question about the Sixers will be James Harden. When the Sixers traded for James Harden, all right, where were they in the standings? When they traded for James Harden, this is they didn't have Ben Simmons. He wasn't playing. They had Seth Curry and, and Drummond, but no Harden. And no Ben Simmons. I think, if my memory serves correctly, they were like 35 and 23. So you're talking about a team that even without James Harden and going through the whole Ben Simmons stuff, they were still 12 games over 500 with Doc Rivers steering that ship. So I think Doc did a really good job in keeping the team's mindset together. The question is... Did he do that same good job in the playoffs? This is an interesting comment from Stephen A. Smith, who we just heard him say that coaching wasn't the issue for the Sixers. But when push comes to shove, we're talking about how did he keep that locker room together and how prepared were they? But in the end, we all think James Harden was the reason why Doc got pushed out the door, but could it have been other stuff that was lingering over the Doc Rivers tenure at the end? I happen to believe that Doc Rivers is a damn good coach, but in fairness to the James Harden and others of the world that has people walking around the NBA believing that essentially he got Doc Rivers fired. There are a plethora of people associated with the Philadelphia 76ers franchise who are not too fond of Doc Rivers and are happy that he is gone. And so that kind of stuff plays a role into the Phoenix Suns having to make a decision as to whether or not he's the right guy for the job. Very interesting that there is a plethora of people inside the organization who are not sad that Doc Rivers is gone. And you wonder if towards the end of the tenure here that Doc had a little bit too much say or power for some people and rub people the wrong way or if that had an effect on the mindset and the preparation late in this season. I don't know, but I think that that was a pretty telling comment there. Do you think also something should be said about the fact that we talked about this last week, Mike, before you you left, was that Maury didn't hire Doc. So how much did that have something to do with That one I'm kind of torn by because Maury didn't hire Doc, but he said he came here because he wanted to work with Doc. Right. So you can make a strong case that if Maury was the GM here, he may have hired Doc himself. Right? Maybe. I mean, didn't it come off pretty clear that Maury didn't need this job? 
He took the job because Doc Rivers. He wanted to work with Doc Rivers. I mean, that's the theory. But again, like, I mean, we all remember that awkward press conference in the empty gym because of COVID. And they're just sitting there on the Zoom call. Like, the whole thing was kind of awkward. That whole introductory presser. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I got a lot of texts coming in with a reaction on Nick Nurse, the new Sixer head coach. Give me your thoughts, 609 403 Yeah, they played Saturday. What did I say? I, I, dude, I was I was in multiple time zones. I was here, there, everywhere. I'm lucky I saw the game. What, what's the difference? They played Friday or Saturday. I know it was a night that I wasn't here. 220, 221. Whatever it takes. And you know what it takes? <laughs> a good effort shooting 50%. But, yes, they played Saturday night, that was. And then Monday. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, I'll read off and react to your text messages coming up. Also on the other side, why did Nick Nurse choose the Sixers? He could have gone to Phoenix or maybe Milwaukee. It seemed that everybody wanted Nurse, but he wanted the Sixers. Why? That's next. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 2.30 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you. So I did see the games this weekend. I got a chance to watch uh, Saturday night. I said Friday night. I meant Saturday night. I didn't know what day it was half the time. I got to Nashville on Wednesday. Hung out there on Wednesday and Thursday. Drove to Knoxville. Hung out at the University of Tennessee for a couple of days. Went back to Nashville. Flew from Nashville to Philly, then drove from Philly to Atlantic City, went to the Blink-182 show, and here I am. So I don't know what day it was to that guy who was saying the game was on Saturday. I missed it. I didn't know what day was what. Did you know that Tennessee, Nashville is in the central time zone, and Knoxville is in the eastern time zone? I did not know that. I did not know that either. We found out almost the hard way. So we were driving from Nashville to around Knoxville, about 20 minutes outside of Knoxville. That's where the crew races were for the national championships. We're driving. Girlfriend's son says, hey, you guys almost here. We're like, we told you we'll be there at 1130. He says, it is 1130. I said, no, 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 no. It's 10. And as I look at my clock on my phone, the 10, like back to the future, changed to an 11. And then there was a sign on the interstate that says you are entering the eastern time zone. So, uh, yeah, we almost missed the race. Then on the way back, we were trying to figure out, like, what time to leave to get to the airport because you're in the eastern time zone going back to the central time zone. Okay. So we ended up sitting in the airport for, like, three hours and because we were just, like, trying to be safe. But Blink-182 was really good. Are you a Blink fan? Not really? I mean, I I would go to a Blink concert, but I wouldn't go out of my way for a Blink concert. So I went to the Blink show. It was kind of a last-minute deal. Uh, we ended up going. A buddy of mine, um, not a buddy of mine, my cousin, uh, who's, I guess, a friend of mine, but he's my relative, he was there, and he said, hey, I'm going to go to the Blink show. We said we're going to be there. He said, do you have any extra tickets? I said, yeah, I got some extra tickets, right? So I ended up, because we had the radio station, we had some extra tickets lying around. So I had all these extra tickets. So I said, yeah, I have extra tickets. How many do you need? The guy says, one. I said, all right, tell him to meet me at this spot. Well, I get to the spot, and I realize that his tickets were different than my tickets. 
And I ended up having to walk the gentleman about 15 blocks because the one entrance was on Michigan Avenue and the other entrance was on Kentucky Avenue. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Unbeknownst to me, 15 blocks or so between one entrance and the other entrance. I mean, hey, listen, it was a great event. The concert was awesome. Blink sounded great. I was kind of a bigger Blink fan back in the day, but hearing them, I had not heard them live before, so I wanted to see them live. And, of course, they haven't played in like 10 years. So they're doing this tour, so this wasn't their first concert back, but this is the first tour in 10 years or something to that effect. They were really good, had a good time. But I will tell you, yesterday I was running on perfumes. I mean, Nashville. You ever been to Nashville, people? Whoo! That'll take you. That'll take you down a notch. That'll take your energy level down a notch. Hanging out in Nashville for the day. Wednesday. Got there Wednesday. Went to Tootsie's and just hit kind of the whole. Went to a place called Roberts, which is, of course, we have a Roberts place here at Margate. They have a recession special. for a fried bologna and cheese sandwich, which I did not get, by the way, but I saw it on the menu and cracked up. A fried bologna and cheese sandwich, a bag of chips, a moon pie, and a PBR for 6 bucks. That's an interesting combination. Exactly. My buddy got it. He's like, this is the best bologna and cheese sandwich I've ever had. I said, it looks uh, looks pretty enticing, but great time. And now, as soon as I get back, this happens. So let's read off some of the text messages and get your guys' thoughts. 609-403-0973. Mike, I mentioned last week when you were on vacation, it really didn't matter who the coach. Uh, it's up to the front office to put the right players together, and they just can't seem to find the right pieces. Tom and the Villas. Look, I would lean more towards – let me ask this question for the people. Is this team any different off right now if Brett Brown was the coach of this team? I don't know. Only my own the reason I say I don't know is because I would. Are you saying that if the team was literally constructed the same, same team, it's just Brett Brown was the coach? Would they have got knocked out in the second round? Would they be up three games to two in the second round it, and just the, couldn't finish the deal? It'd be the same result. It would be the same result. Now, some people would say if Eric Spolster was the coach. Would that be different? And if I even said, yes, it would be different, here's the problem. You know how many Eric Spolsters exist? One. One. People yearn for something that doesn't exist. We talk about this with franchise quarterbacks. Finding that coach that is a difference-making coach is a ghost that doesn't exist. It doesn't mean you shouldn't find one or try to get one, but to expect that your team is going to have that much of a difference-maker is... A little far-fetched. Like Nick Nurse has won a championship. Mike Budenholzer has won a championship. (laughs) Frank Vogel has won a championship. And you would think if you had a guy who won an NBA championship as a head coach and one area that fans complain about with this particular team has been the coach, you would think that getting a guy that won a championship would be a very exciting opportunity to get this team over the top and I don't sense that that's what this hire did no because at the end of the day part of the the biggest reason why you lost that series to the Celtics is because James Harden completely choked in two games and Joel Embiid wasn't the Joel Embiid that won the MVP Uh, I got this text message from Tim in Millville he says I liked it I didn't love it Definitely felt like they needed a shakeup. Something else needs to change, too. I'm just not sure what that that is. That's what Maurice job is. Let me ask you this, Tim. 
Do you think they were having the same discussion, loss after loss after loss in Denver with Michael Malone, that something needs to change? Michael Malone has been there eight years. They've never made an NBA Finals until now. Do you think the fan base out there wanted to see Michael Malone gone? Probably. I'm sure they looked around and said something needed to change. But you know what they did? They stuck the course. You know what Miami does? They stick the course. Miami doesn't have great seasons all the time. They went 44 and 38 this year. They don't say, oh my God, we went 44 and 38. It's got to be the coach's fault. No, they stuck the course. They have Eric Spolstra and they believe in Eric Spolstra. Denver Nuggets believe in Michael Malone. The Golden State Warriors believe in Steve Kerr. These teams, through good seasons, bad seasons, mediocre seasons, underperforming seasons, overperforming seasons, they know that changing coaches every three years is not a formula for championships. Look at Boston. People want Missoula out and think that he's going to be out. He's not, by the way. But one of the reasons he's not going to be out, because if they fire him, it will be the fourth coach in four years. That is not a recipe for winning. It might because... We act like just changing the coach is going to change everything. No, it's going to hold you back because now you're changing everything for a fourth straight year. Denver decided not, no, we don't need a shakeup. We just need more continuity. And now Denver's playing for a championship. Their coach has been there eight years. He's going up against a coach who's been there longer than him. See what is winning right now? Budenholzer won. He had been there. Kerr wins. He's there. They don't always win, but they're always in play because they have that continuity. But the other thing, other thing I would say about the, the Nuggets is they also have front office stability that the Sixers haven't had. You know, these organizations you're talking about, most of them, like Bob Myers, he just he's left the Warriors today. He was with the Warriors for a decade. So, like, you could argue part of the Sixers' problem is more than just the head coach stability. It's also the fact that Daryl Morey is at this point, what, the fourth different guy running this basketball operation? Yeah. Well, that's the big thing with the Sixers. There was a focus, a plan from Sam Henke that was chopped off at the knees, basically, cut off at the knees. It was then handed over to a guy who had a completely different focus than Sam because he wanted to be the anti-Sam. And then he had a burner account. So then they went to another guy who, who the hell knows what, Brett Brown and Elton Brand's focus were because they were the third person who jumped in, and now you have right. Daryl Morey. Yep. But with all of that happening, why did Nick Nurse choose the Sixers over all the other opportunities? You have an NBA championship team with the Bucks, who has Giannis Antetokounmpo. You have a Phoenix team that has Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. He essentially could have picked whatever team he wanted to go to but he chose the Sixers, according to Woj, and here's why. Both the Phoenix Suns and Sixers were engaged with Nurse's agent Andy Miller of Clutch Sports today. Uh, but ultimately, Nick Nurse goes to Philadelphia, number one, the chance to coach the MVP, Joel Embiid. And uh, Sixers president GM uh, Daryl Morey, he worked with Nick Nurse in Houston. They have familiarity history, uh, certainly a lot of history between Nurse and and the Sixers during his five-year run in Toronto, uh, including that 2019 playoff series on Nurse's way to winning that championship with the Raptors. But for the Sixers, really a significant hiring. Uh, Nick Nurse was 
uh, highly in demand in this marketplace. And now they land Nick Nurse. They're working out details of the deal, both Andy Miller and Clutch and uh, the Sixers right now. But he's committed to the Sixers. Committed to the Sixers for two reasons. His desire to coach Joel Embiid and then Daryl Morey. So you have a desire to coach Joel Embiid more than Giannis Antetokounmpo? You have a desire to coach Joel Embiid more than Kevin Durant and Devin Booker? What does that say about Joel Embiid to you guys out there? 609-403-0973. Brian Windhorse also added to what led Nick Nurse to choose the Sixers over the other coaching opportunities. Here's more from Wendy. Joel Embiid was a big factor in it. You know, this is one of the bigger coaching uh, bidding wars we've seen in a few years. Uh, a couple years ago, the Suns won a bidding war uh, for Monty Williams against the Lakers. The Suns were involved in another, uh, you know, battle to get Nick Nurse over the last several days. He was in position on both teams and went forward with the Sixers uh, over the last 24 hours. Uh, now, there's an history history here. Um, Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid have had words with each other at times. They've been high-level competitors against each other. They played against each other in two playoff series, each of them winning one. Of course, the famous one, the Kawhi Leonard shot that bounced in at the buzzer in 2019. So they know each other very well, and you get a coach with a championship, you know, DNA championship resume into Philadelphia, and he also has a long-standing re- rep- um, relationship with Daryl Morey. They both worked for the Houston Rockets together, leading to this situation. It was one of the highest coveted jobs uh, on the market, and Nick Nurse, one of the highest coveted coaches, and they came together. Yeah, and every team out there wanted Nick Nurse, but he said, I want you, and the answer was simple, Joel Embiid. 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. So Joel Embiid has that big of an impact that he can get a coach to say, I don't want Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't want Kevin Durant. I want that guy. So what will he do for that guy? That'll be interesting to see. And did you hire Nick Nurse to help retain James Harden? What does the Nurse hire mean for James Harden's future in Philadelphia? You'll hear what one analyst has to say. Plus, what does J.J. Reddick think? Remember, there was a time where he was the favorite, according to Vegas anyway, to get the Sixers job. We knew that wasn't going to happen. But what does he think about the hire? That's coming up next right here. On the Sports Bash, live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 249 Sports Bash. Nick Nurse is the new Sixer head coach, but is Nick Nurse a hire to help bring back James Harden? What is their relationship? Alan Hahn, ESPN NBA analyst, earlier today... He thinks this. This is not going to be a James Harden hire. I mean, this is a coach now is going to be very demanding, not just of Joel Embiid, to play at a higher pace and also to play harder than he normally does. But we're also talking about a coach that's going to be demanding of James Harden, not necessarily offensively, because he does like to play an up-and-down system, which Harden might like, but it's the defensive side where he flies around, and it's an exhausting so does James Harden, do they already know that James Harden's not coming back by making this hire? Because if you were asking James Harden, it was Mike D'Antoni that he would want as the head coach. But Daryl Morey does have a relationship with Nick Nurse. He's the best coach available. And so it's a good fit. 
But is it the right fit for James Harden? Yeah, that's the interesting question. Is it the right fit for James Harden? You know, we talk about Nick Nurse is known for his defense, and he had a guy like Siakam kind of going from sideline to sideline, and he was almost single-handedly defending the three-point line. If you watch Toronto play, they give up more corner threes than anybody else in the league. They give up a lot of three-point shots. But... They do change their looks around. They will use different types of styles. They'll trap. They'll play box in one or triangle in two. They'll switch to zone. But is it Harden that is the big factor here? This is what uh, J.J. Redick thinks. Whoever got this job, here's the priority to me beyond just maximizing Embiid like he's already been maximized right. to a degree. Can you elevate Tyrese Maxey? Can Nick Nurse, like, t- to point. me, I think Tyrese Maxey has another level to his game. I think he's a potential all-star, potential, you know, third-team all-NBA type guard. I really believe that. So do I. If Nick Nurse can elevate Maxey the way that he elevated Siakam, the way that he elevated Fred Van Fleet, that changes the ceiling and the conversation around the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay. It's always been about Embiid and Harden. I think it could be about Embiid and Maxi. That's an interesting point by J.J. Redick because what Alan Hahn said is this isn't a Harden hire so much. And Redick says, I don't think it's about Harden and Embiid. It needs to start being focused on Embiid and Maxi. And can Maxi go from fun, entertaining, scoring player to a third-team all-NBA conversation player. That is the next question or the next elevation or evolution, I should say, for the 76ers roster. Because where they currently are, cap-wise and roster-built, they need someone in-house to go from A to Z. They can't just say incremental, go from A to B to C. They need that guy to basically take a jump from Good starting player, which Maxie is. He's a good starting player to take that jump to borderline all NBA third team. I'm not asking him to be all NBA first team or be an NBA all star, but to where next year around the all star game, we're saying, man, Tyrese Maxie should be in that conversation. And that is what Reddick is looking at with this hire is can Nick Nurse make Maxie go from where Fred Van Vliet was during the Kawhi Leonard years and take him to where Fred Van Vliet was in the post Kawhi Leonard years. Remember, he came off the bench in those Kawhi years. When Kawhi left, Van Vliet became an all-star player. And that's what they're hoping happens with Maxi here. And that may deter Harden from wanting to come back here. And doesn't Maxi also have a higher ceiling than a guy like Van Vliet does? Like, does oh, I think so. Like, he's a guy that could probably, in theory, be a 25 to 30 point a game scorer. Uh, this is what Reddick talked about, though, with the Harden problem. Him and Tim Legler had a kind of an interesting back and forth here. Take a listen. They're still over the cap yeah. if he leaves. All they would have is the uh, non taxpayer mid level. To get under the cap, they would have to trade Tobias Harris and not take back any salary. They're kind of stuck. They, they, they kind of have to bring him back. And there's no one on the Houston Rockets roster, in my opinion, that you can facilitate a sign-and-trade with 
that would make an impact on this team and their championship hope. Yeah. So to me, you bring back. But he could also. But he could choose to leave. Right. He could choose. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I'm curious to see. I'm just talking about from the team perspective. I'm curious to see how he feels about this hire. We're going to find that out, I guess, in a matter of time. Right. Mm -hmm. He's got to make that decision Mm -hmm. coming up here in the next month. How he feels about that hire. And to your point about Maxie, you're 100 percent right. And a lot of people in Philadelphia want to see the ball more in Tyrese Maxey as your initial option. Question is, if Harden stays, how much more can you get out of Maxey if James Harden's on the floor to that extent? That's a great question because Fred Van Vliet doesn't become Fred Van Vliet if Kawhi Leonard's still there. Correct. Now, they might be better, but at some point, to evolve the situation, Harden, who's not Kawhi Leonard, by the way, might have to step out so that Maxi can step in to a bigger role. Can Nick Nurse get him there is the question. Yeah, and maybe that's where the whole reshaping of the roster starts. You mentioned Mike Allen Toronto. He had a certain type of roster. Does get moving on from Harden and making Maxi become that guy part of rebuilding that roster? We'll get back into Nick Nurse, what it means for the Sixers. Paul Hudrick, who was on vacation but said, I want to talk about this. He's going to join us in his normal 340 spot. But when we come back, no need to panic, Phillies fans. We'll discuss that and more. Man, the Phillies panic. They split with the Braves on the road this weekend. Oh, it was a pretty positive weekend. We'll tell you why it was coming up next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Phil's back in action tonight. You know, the Phillies should never be off on Memorial Day. If there's a team that should play on Memorial Day, it's the Philadelphia Phillies. They did not play yesterday after splitting the series in Atlanta 2-2. The Phillies currently... After 53 games, sit at 25 and 28, which was one game better than they were last year. At this time last year, after 53 games, the Phillies were 24 and 29. They were 11 games out of the division last year. They were four and a half games out of the wild card last year. Right now, they are six and a half games out of the division and they are two and a half games out of the wild card. So just past the 50 game mark, we are now past Memorial Day, Frank. Let's take a look at where this Phillies team is and kind of feel them out. What do we feel about this team post Memorial Day now? Do we feel that they've kept their head above water and are ready to make a move? Or are we looking at this team now and just saying, you know what? Too many flaws, too many questions. We can't keep comparing this team to what they did last year. Yeah, I would not compare this to to last year. I think last year there was... (laughs) I don't think there was much confidence, though, at this time, to be honest with you. I mean, it was the managerial change that seemed to to sort of boost the Phillies and get the Phillies going. But I don't know what's going to be that one thing that sort of propels them. I think... The status of their starting pitching has kind of left the Phillies in murky waters. I think there's no clear solution in sight, and I think players see that. Uh, I mean, uh, Dylan Covey, uh, two two outs, seven runs, 
And then just you know that 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 was the opportunity to to maybe take a series from the Braves. So when you can't win a game like that, when you're taxing your bullpen every night, it's really hard to get that confidence that they're about to go on a run. This does not look like a team that's going to go on a run. Now, could that change? Could Ranger Suarez keep working back to form? We'll see what he can do for them tonight. I don't know what he's going to give the Phillies tonight. I think that's the problem. We don't know what Ranger Suarez is going to give the Phillies yet on night tonight. He's not predictable enough. And then you've got that hole in the rotation that we saw Sunday. I, it, it, there's, this is not a team that can go on a run. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, I, I think we take a look at Covey. I mentioned it before. I said, if you're complaining about Bailey Falter, you're kind of like misguided that the issue isn't so much Falter because if you replace him, you're going to complain about the next guy as well. The problem, as I see it, Frank, is the lack of consistency from the guys that you counted on. Suarez, Walker, Wheeler, Noller. You got to get more consistency out of those guys first. Complain about Covey, Falters of the world second. Yeah, I, you know, Zach Wheeler gave the Phillies their his best start of the season against Elena. That's encouraging. Aaron Nola pitching poorly in the first game of the series, that's not encouraging because when you look at the four games, you know, the, the Braves were throwing somebody that was not supposed to be in the rotation, that was kind of struggling. Phillies were throwing who should be their ace in Aaron Nola, and he did not come up big to, to kick off that Braves series. I mean, if he had won that game, and other things had to go right too. Let's face it. Uh, Nick Castellanos not sliding. You know, I don't know if that would have made a difference uh, in a, in a run to give the Phillies a run in that game. I'm not sure, but uh, that, that first game is indeed the one that you really worry about. Now, if Nola gives you a strong performance, you feel better perhaps about the, the final game of the series where they get shelled in the first inning, but, but still you don't want that either. So you need, you need the Kyle Schwarbers of the world to play better. You need the Trey Turner's to play better. I mean, I think that would put them in a better spot right now. You got to assume that they will, but but I think it's just the the, the way that this pitching staff is is just struggling along thanks to that lack of a fifth starter and other starters not going deep. That they're they're just in this purgatory almost that they just can't seem to escape. Yeah, what is your hypothesis on Turner? Why is he struggling and is this an elongated struggle that you think he can't get out of or is there a hot streak somewhere over the rainbow for him? I think there's a hot streak. Trey Turner is too good. And a lot of people have pointed out recently that when Bryce Harper first joined the Phillies, he struggled up until about this point as well. New guy, new town, new expectations, new contract that's $300 million plus that happened to both of them. You know, I, I, can, I can see why he would take a few few moments to, to sort of get settled on this Phillies team. But Trey Turner is too, too good. I mean, I did pick him as an MVP contender. He might play like he's probably too late to win the MVP, but I don't know. Uh, he could play like one at times, and I think the Phillies really, really need it right now. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, I you know, there's a lot of uh, theories about him. Is he healthy? Why you know, obviously last year his batting average not great. You put up with it because he hit the ball over the fence. That's not happening as frequently now, and the batting average isn't even where it was last year. It's significantly worse. Some thoughts on where he is, and is there a, uh, you know something they can do there? Well, the power is still there. It, it's not as frequent when he's struggling, but he still has the power. If you look at him historically throughout his career, April and May have not been good months for him. you got to hope that he's going to have another June. Remember last year that was everybody kept saying, make every month June for Kyle Schwarber. We'll see what happens as it gets warmer. Maybe that's the type of player he is. Maybe he needs to heat up. But 
I, I don't know. I, he's he's got to be better than this. And, and and honestly, the Phillies have to consider giving him a break now and then. You know, maybe if they get some of these reinforcements off of injury in the coming weeks. In fact, uh, Derek Call, the Phillies just announced, will begin his rehab assignment at Class A Clearwater. Raphael Marchand, too, by the way. Uh, but as they as they start to get some of these guys back, Christian Pache should be soon behind them. You know, maybe you just consider giving him a night off or two nights off just to get his get his head right because it's you know veteran or not, uh, you know he's been grinding it out every day almost out of necessity because they've been down for a while, Bryce Harper, and they're still feeling the effects of being down Hoskins and Hall. So uh, they haven't really had the chance to just say, okay, go take a rest because they're already using a bench player to start every day, either at third base or first base, and I think they would rather not do that twice if they can help. All right, let's get into the mailbag. That leads us into a question from Chris and something I wrote about at 97.3 ESPN.com. Chris wants to know any interest in Luke Voigt. I wrote about Jesus Aguilar, who has hit lefties pretty well this year uh, for Oakland. Oakland decided to designate him for assignment. He's a veteran player. That team is struggling. Voigt, Aguilar... Are those two guys someone the Phillies should have interest in? Well, let's talk about Luke Voigt, I guess, since that's Actually, the question. Actually, it would only be one, not both. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, you know, Voigt was a name that came up at the beginning of uh, the year, right? Because at the end of spring training, the Brewers had to make a decision. And ultimately, they they released him and then re-signed him to a $2 million deal. And Luke Voigt hasn't given the Brewers much of anything. I mean, he's been in 22 games. He's there for his power. And he's hitting 221, which sometimes power hitters do, but he has no home runs uh, for the Brewers this year. So when you compare that to what you're getting out of the combo of Edmundo Sosa and Cody Clemens, well, they have a combined seven home runs. And and by the way, Cody Clemens is actually pretty hot right now. If you look at his last 15 games, he's batting 302 with an OPS over 900. If you go back to the last seven out of that 15, that number is even closer to 1,000. So I think the Phillies are liking what they see from Cody Clemens right now. Yeah, you could say you're you're talking about the right-handed side. Um, of the two names, I would prefer Jesus Aguilar, as you suggested earlier today. But, you know, the Phillies are going to have, as I just mentioned, Derek Hall's back on a, a rehab stint now, so he could be getting closer. Uh, Bryce Harper is still working at first base by the end of mid to end of July. He could be ready to take over first base, maybe forever. We'll see where that goes. So... There might not be some space for long. Now, granted, the Phillies, the Phillies had a couple center fielders last year. I don't know if I even remember their names. I guess it was uh, Oscar Mercado, and I forget the guy who came from from uh, Toronto for a hot minute. But um, you know, they've had a player for a couple weeks and and moved on. I mean, if they do, I don't think that any player there would be there for long. And also, I would still kind of hesitate to find a spot on the roster for someone like that because you're going to have to take away from one of your infielders. And your roster already has a lot of players that are very one-dimensional defensively. Harper only DHing, and then you've got, of course, Castellanos. You've got uh, Schwarber players that are that are not hot with the glove that you would like to, to to DH some. So I would almost see this play out unless they feel like they can take take on Aguilar and cut him in two weeks if if all else doesn't work out. I I, I don't know, but I still I'm still uncomfortable with that many people defensively challenged and I you know you get a little closer to the deadline you might be able to add an outfielder if if, if Harper's at first base and you have yeah. Schwarber well, and Castellanos mean, what did you say I mean Aguilar's had some success against left-handed pitching this year can't like a lot of people are chomping back hey Clements has played well but he's not hitting lefties so if you had Aguilar 
as the, you know, you basically platoon them. My look at this is that puts Sosa back into his utility role, keeps Bohm at third. Then you can platoon Clements and Aguilar at first base. And it gives you a right-handed power bat if Harper plays first base at some point, something they don't have. They they have to find a right-handed bat that has some pop in it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. But I think the my, my, my problem right now is the timing because the Phillies have said they wanted – if you remember going into the season, they wanted Derek Hall to have some opportunities against lefties and righties. That didn't really get the chance to happen. Uh, do they, are they still going to give him a shot? Uh, Cody Clemens, since he's playing well, mostly against the right-handed pitching, are you going to give him a shot against some lefties? I think you'd want to find out if they can do it first before adding somebody else into the mix. I, I mean, I don't – again – they could do it, but it might be short-lived because I, I see a roster crunch here. I guess the weakest link right now is Josh Harrison, a guy I've always really liked as a utility player. He hasn't really been playing much, and his batting average hasn't been too hot. So I guess he's the weakest link on the roster right now. But then you subtract somebody like Josh Harrison, then you basically have Edmundo Sosa covering the entire infield for everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, but Sosa goes back. I guess the uh, the way I see it is Sosa doesn't have to play almost four to five days a week as the third baseman, which I think is kind of exposing him. He can kind of go back to that super utility guy, second, short, third. I guess Harrison might be the guy that would get squeezed out in this situation. No? Yeah, yeah, he's the yeah he would be the guy, and unfortunately not playing as well as he has in the past. And Phillies unfortunately let him walk in 2020, and he had a great year. Actually started for the the White Sox the following year, uh, returned to that bench role, but uh, he's 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 struggling a little bit this year in his limited action. Yeah. So for the people out there, I'm not looking to replace Cody Clemens. I'm basically trying to get Sosa out of a everyday or pseudo everyday role, keep Bohm at third pretty much full time, and then have Clemens and Aguilar kind of platoon at first base. Harrison probably becomes the odd man out because even if Harper plays first base, you're still way too left-handed heavy. So you need to find a right-handed DH potentially, and Aguilar could potentially fill that role. Yeah, I will say this. For for the time being, until they get an outfielder back, uh, Guthrie could play some infield and be an extra infielder for the Phillies in a pinch. So, Oh, not even in a pinch. I mean, he was basically... So what the, what the Phillies did with with Guthrie and AAA doesn't Cody Clemens year. also play other positions though? Yeah, not well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said kind, you said in a pinch. I guess in a pinch you could put Clemens. If you're going to put Clemens somewhere in the infield, I'd put him at second base. That would be the place. I and would you play. have Garrett Stubbs as well. That's that's true. But then, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, you're talking. Maybe you're talking me into it a little bit. The problem more, is but. too, like Jake Cave is down at AAA and he's tearing it up. He's also left-handed. The problem is they've got. I've never seen a team so left-handed dominant ever. I don't can't remember a team that that <laughs> this. They start on some days can start six left-handed bats in the line. I mean, if you put Stubbs in there, really you get another one. Yeah, they are. They are very left-handed heavy. So if they face a tough righty, they know how to stack the lineup. Yeah, but if you're facing that left-hander, you know, whenever that happens, that's where having that right-handed power bat. I mean, Aguilar is not – I'm not saying to play – or Voight, whoever. I just think they need to find mm-hmm. a – and by the way, Aguilar in Oakland this year, uh four of his five home runs came against left-handed pitching. He's hitting like 290 against – he had a really good slash numbers against left-handed pitching. 
against right-handed pitching, not as good, but you're not asking him here anyway to play against right-handed pitching. So that would be one question in the mailbag, Chris, thanks to uh, uh, you. Uh, how about Andrew Painter at Phillies Info 10 wants to know, um, should the Phillies still trade for a starter or should they just be patient and wait for Painter to come back? Yeah, I think that I think anything that the Phillies get from Andrew Painter is a kind of a bonus at this point. They avoided the Tommy John surgery. That's good, provided that this works. Now, at the point he's at right now is he's throwing what they call short bullpens, which means he's throwing from in front of the mound, not actually getting onto the mound. So he's still a far ways off. I think the Phillies are trying to time it so that if he's able to give them anything at all, it would be at the end of the season. I don't think that they want him to come up and then not be able to actually use him if he comes up. Again, that's that's being very ambitious. I thought they were being very ambitious with him, perhaps making the starting rotation out of spring training. But as you can see, this 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 setbacks like this happen. So I, I think the Phillies would love, and, and by the way, Dave Dombrowski speaks very optimistically of this happening, would love him to be able to contribute to this team down the stretch. But if it happens, I think it will be down the stretch. And I think also that there's there's a chance they would they would pull it. Because I do think they are prioritizing his long term health, his long-term contribution to the Phillies, but I know that there's a lot of people in this Phillies organization which, which, who would just absolutely love to see him on the Phillies mound this year and are being optimistic about it. Yeah, uh, that fifth starter spot, as you mentioned, it was Falter, it was Covey, uh, Christopher Sanchez has not pitched well, Plasameyer, they have a lot of questions in that five-hole that will probably be persistent until after the All-Star break uh, at, at, at the earliest, uh, as you're saying on Painter, because quite frankly, I think Dave Dombrowski hinted on this over the weekend, Frank. There's just not a lot of options, and the asking price for a fifth starter is ridiculous. Yeah, we saw that last year. I mean, Noah Syndergaard was the best that they could get. And I will say, all things considered, a former first-round overall pick is kind of a high price, even though he was struggling. Like, 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 uh, like what's his name again? You know, the... <laughs> Why am I drawing a blank on their number one? Mickey Moniak. Oh Moniak, who, by the way, oh, yeah, is actually memorable. Moniak's performing pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I but keep they're... seeing, have you seen these on Facebook groups and stuff? This, hey, who would trade Schwarber for Moniak? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Moniak, it's really funny talking about lefty righty stuff. Last I checked, the Angels had not let him face a right handed, I mean, a left handed pitcher yet. So, so all the success is against righties. But anyway, my point is, you know, they kind of gave up relatively a, a, a big price for somebody that they let's be honest did not have confidence enough in to even start into the playoffs last year in Noah Syndergaard and so finding a another starter is going to be hard and uh, it, it was hard in the offseason that's why I think that the Phillies hoped that their depth that included the likes of Nick Nelson and Christopher Sanchez and Michael Plassmeyer and Bailey Falter would be enough and as we're saying is very much not enough yeah and and Dylan Covey I don't I I don't know if he's going to even be around by his next start. Are they going to give him another start? Are they going to pick somebody else off the waiver wire? I'm not sure that they know what's going to happen next. But I will say the Phillies are really lucky that they had an off day on Memorial Day, which, of course, as, as I know you were just saying, I don't like that either. But if he had pitched and then they had to pitch play the next day, like that, that that's devastating to a bullpen. Seven, seven and a third innings one day, and then who's it's going to throw you off for, for days. So luckily they were off. Hopefully Ranger Suarez gives them some innings today. And 
they won't need to dip into the bullpen very much because that can tax you for days. Uh, Phillies insider Frank Close from 97.3 ESPN.com. His mailbag every Tuesday. Uh, Dave wants to know, was this season really this dependent on the pitching staff's health? I mean, you know, last year they had Kyle Gibson in the rotation and he pretty much made every turn. You know, the one thing with, with Gibson and, and, and by the way, Falter, if you look at Falter and Gibson's numbers, they're almost the same. I mean, they almost have the same exact innings per game, ERA, WHIP. Um, it's just that Falter got Zippo run support. Now, I'm not saying that Falter is better than Gibson, but Gibson basically – what's that? Yeah, Falter gets two runs a game. Their ERA is both in like the mid-fives. Their whips are both like 1-3. You know, but it's just having someone that can get you, and they both throw about five innings a game. So Falter was essentially giving you what Gibson gave you. Well, Gibson six and three with a three eight two for the Orioles this, this year. year yes. So, and he is their highest paid player, by the way. So, wow, <laughs> I know. Right, if they had Gibson see, but... and Eflin in the rotation, still they'd be pretty good. But you know what? I, Eflin's the one that people say, "Oh, you should have kept Eflin." Well. I don't know. He already had one IL stint this year. He's still, I will say, Zach Eflin, the guy you want to root for, whatever he is, whenever he was on, he was on and looked really, really good. Uh, but, of course, the Rays always seem to find guys, and, and they just perform unbelievably. But but uh, kudos to Zach Eflin. Yeah, we did not mention him. At the end of last season, it seemed like it would be too risky to count on him as a starting rotation spot because mm-hmm. he kept getting hurt. So hopefully he has some good health there. And it continues to excel for the Rays, who are having a very nice season. As you mentioned, Frank, uh, Derek Hall and Raphael Marchand will begin rehab assignments tonight with Clearwater. Um, Rob Thompson indicated over the weekend that Hall would have to earn his way back, that he's not just going to come back and, and get thrown right back into the lineup. What do you make of that? I think he was trying to give Cody Clemens some confidence here because if he, a guy like Clemens, if, if he's got to look over his shoulder and, and – can't relax and can't play. I, I I don't know that. I mean, he probably will still have to even with those comments. But I think that was him appreciating this stretch that Cody Clemens has had recently. Done very very well. Is starting to make some contact. Got off to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe those two games he pitched helped uh, get him back into batting shape. But uh, but yeah, he's been playing very well. And uh, you know what? This is a results oriented business. And if he keeps playing well. Well, then he's going to keep playing. So that's why I would look to see the Phillies give him some starts against a lefty here or there just to see if he can hold his own. And I think that was the key, too, with Hall, right? Can he hit Can he hit the left-handed pitching? So we'll see if Clemens gets some starts over the next couple of weeks while Hall is on this rehab stint. Check in and see how Hall is doing. But it would be good to see what they have. And I think that's what they were hoping to get from Hall, right? What do they have? Do they have someone who can play every day or someone who can platoon? I think we need to know that answer about Clemens, and we'll see how the Phillies play it the next couple of weeks. Are they going to see if they have an everyday player, or are they going to see if uh, they have a platoon player? Uh, and right now, over at 97.3ESPN.com, Frank Close, uh, Scott Rowland is going into the Phillies Wall of Fame, although he will not be at the ceremony. A lot of uh, uh, a lot of people not happy about the fact that he won't be there. There's some mixed reviews about him even getting this award. Yeah, I would say that that's the case. Uh, clearly, there were people in the organization who really wanted him to to be there, to be on the Wall of Fame. He was, if you look, obviously, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He's elected to the Hall of Fame. And if you look at his numbers, it's certainly a good chunk of his career, a sizable amount of his career has been with the Phillies. So 
uh, I think the Phillies really wanted to close out that era before they start putting the 2008 guys on this wall of fame. And he sort of was the last guy around. You can't really think of anybody else from the Lieberthal, Roland, Glanville era to, to, to go on there, right? So I think after this year, you're going to start seeing them one by one, the Utleys, the Howards, the Rollins, the, yeah. the, the Hamels, the I, Ruiz. You could just go on and on and on. And so I think they're trying to close that out. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing this being very well received by fans. A lot of a lot of uh, hurt feelings from the fans uh, <laughs> still. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't help that he's not going to be there, I guess. I mean, there's a scheduling conflict is what they're saying, and they're going to have him at a game later in the year. But, you know. Yeah, I, I, that that just seems odd to me. I, why, why do it then? Why not? Why not reschedule the whole thing if he's sort of the yeah, centerpiece? Yeah, I mean, you got a guy. You find out, hey, are you available on this day? We're planning on putting you in our wall of fame. No, I'm not available. Okay, we'll move it to a different day. I mean, uh, it just seems they kind of bungled this situation. But uh, uh, Roland is in the uh, Phillies Wall of Fame, and uh, he will go. The date is. August 12th will be the ceremony. He will not be there, but he will be honored on September 22nd at a game at Citizens Bank Park. So there you go. Just like the Roland Bobblehead Day, he's not there. <laughs> Frank Close, 97.3 ES. By the way, I have a couple text messages asking about Nick Nelson. Uh, any idea when his return is? I, and I have not heard an update yet. His hamstring was re-aggravated, so uh, yeah. you know those things usually require a little bit of rest before you can throw. So he's probably got to get some rest before he can throw. So we'll see where we'll see where he is with that. All right, Frank Close, everybody. The mailbag is open on Tuesday. We answer your questions, and the Phillies are back tonight against the Mets. By the way, it's Ranger Suarez. I have not seen a lineup out yet, so we'll keep our eye on that. Suarez for the Phils tonight against the Mets. Mets have won five straight at City Field. They've lost two straight overall. Phils, of course, lost on Sunday Night Baseball, and this is a pretty interesting early season match. The first time they've met all season long, Phillies and Mets. Frank, thanks, buddy. Thanks, Mike. All right, Frank's back with the mailbag on Tuesday. We're back. Right here on the Sports Bash. Coming up, we've got a bunch to jo dive into. Does Nick Nurse fix the Sixers' issues? Stephen A. Smith isn't convinced. That's next. We were just talking, by the way, with, with Frank. Last year, this team was 24-29. and 29. The team's actually better right now than they were at this point last year. So as bad as they've been and... Comparing them to last year's team. They're better than last year's team. The last year's team wasn't even this good yet. Uh, this guy says, Mike, you keep comparing them to last year's team as if they were good last year. Even if you watched them last year, you know they barely backed into the playoffs. It had no business being there. But they got to the World Series. So whether they belong there or not, that's where they ended up. So... I don't, I mean, it just sounds like somebody who's miserable. I mean, that's a horrible way to live life, dude. They got there. They were mediocre all season long, but when it mattered the most, they won. So, yeah, I'm comparing it to last year because this team is actually better than last year's team, who we're all saying, well, they backed in last year. This team is better record-wise, record-wise. I don't know how much you can quantify what losing Reese Hoskins has done. And I'm not a big Hoskins guy. I didn't hate Hoskins. I didn't like where they hit him in the lineup was my biggest problem with Hoskins. I think they're really missing that right-handed bat in this lineup. I really think that's a big, big problem. 
And they got to figure out a way to even out this lineup. Way too many lefties in the lineup. And that's why I wrote about Jesus Aguilar. Go to our website, 97.3ESPN.com, to get my thoughts on that. Coming up, we'll get more thoughts on Nick Nurse. Does he fix all the Sixers' issues? That's next. Now, back to the Sports Bash on 97.3ESPN. All right, 3.30 as we take you back on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash. I'm Mike Gill at Mike Gill Show. You guys are voting. Do you like the Nick Nurse hire? Love it? Hate it? And So far, 63% love it. 35% eh. And only 2% hate it. So it seems that most people are like, either I love this hire. 62% is a pretty good number. 35% eh. But only 2%, 2 hate the hire. It's a pretty good sign with Sixer fans anyway. Yeah, when I ran a poll last week, Mike, at 97.3 ESP on Twitter, you know, I had 65% of the people saying, you know, hire Nick Nurse immediately. And the other people were saying, finish the interview process. So, you know, it, it gives you an idea that, you know, there's a lot of people who seem to be on board with this specific candidate compared to some of the others. Yeah, I think... um uh, you look at this hire, I think most people saying they love it is a pretty interesting reaction because you can't get most people to agree on anything when it comes to this team. But to get 65% of people agreeing together here that they love this hire and 35% saying, eh, I mean, you're talking about almost 90% of people that voted in this poll they're saying not against it. they're on board with this hire. And I don't know what that says. Does that say they hated Doc Rivers that much? Or I, I don't know if it's more they just didn't have someone. That's the whole thing. They want Doc Rivers fired. He gets fired. And then nobody has a guy that they're like, this is the guy that I want. Yeah. And it was interesting because, you know, when we were talking about it last week, when you were here, Mike, and then when you were away, you know, it, there was not a consensus among the candidates of like, like the only thing everyone agreed on was nobody wanted Mike D'Antoni. No one could agree on who the guy should be, you know, between all the other five names. Well, does he fix all the Sixers issues? Stephen A. Smith isn't convinced that that's the problem. The Sixers situation was not a co- the problem was not coaching. The problem was, who's that supplementary part to Joel Embiid? That's the question that hasn't been answered. James Harden is not what he used to be, even though he led the league in assists. Tobias Harris is somebody that you got there that I think is a, is a damn good player. But he ain't Jimmy Butler, who you elected to let go of. And But the bottom line is, that's what ended up happening. I think you've got to alter this roster to some degree. Otherwise, Nick Nurse is not going to do anything that Doc Rivers couldn't do, that Brett Brown couldn't do. Yeah, even he, though I consider him better than Brett Brown. Yeah, Stephen A. basically saying, hey, you fired the coach, but that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is your team's not good enough. But Tim Legler says that Nurse is the right fit. Here's why. I love the hire based on who was going to be available. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big Nick Nurse fan. I, okay. I think his team's 
come ready to play. I think they're, they're prepared. And when you watch a team, for me, when I watch a team and I want to get my first indication, do I think it's a well-coached team? If I'm asking myself that question, I look at the way that they play defensively. I look how connected they are. I look at adjustments defensively throughout the game. I look at late game management, uh, you know, substitution and rotations. All those things go into it. And I watch them play. I always thought that. So Nick Nurse, to me, if he's available and now the Sixers make that change, he's the guy you go after. I said it the day that they got rid of Doc Rivers. You go get Nick Nurse. You Whatever it takes, you go get Nick Nurse. And that is the guy they got. So I'm happy to see that for Philadelphia. Yeah, so he's saying this is the guy to get. Here is why he thinks he's the right fit and what Tim Legler thinks they need to do to get them to maximize this hire. I think the one thing that he can do, and I think it's important that they do, he needs to figure out a way to get Joel Embiid to play more to his strengths as a dominant paint player when they have to have it. Because I think when you can watch Joel, as games go on, he tends to spend more and more time on the perimeter. And I think he's just such a weapon, such an overwhelming force down low It didn't seem like Doc Rivers was able to get them to operate that way when they needed him to. That could be something Nick Nurse cleans up. So, Nick Nurse, he wanted to come here because of Joel Embiid. Can he get more out of Joel Embiid? He just won the MVP. We'll talk to Paul Hudrick coming up here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Now that the coach is in place for the Sixers, what does Paul Hudrick think the rest of their offseason might look like? Plus, we'll get Paul's take on the hire. That's coming up next. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, joins us. Reaction on Nick Nurse, the new coach for the Philadelphia 76ers. That's coming up next on 97.3 ESPN. Now, more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. South Jersey sports leader. All right, 343, Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers is here. What does he think about the fit of Nurse? I think we all realize that Nurse has won a championship. He was the coach of the year in 2020. What does that even mean, right? These guys are getting fired left and right. Fans are complaining about championship coaches. The Sixers have another one, but is this a difference maker? Let's bring Paul Hudrick in get his thoughts on what Nick Nurse will add to this Sixers team. Paul, he said he wanted to come here because of Joel Embiid. So what is it about Nurse and Embiid's pairing that could work? Well, defensively, you could certainly see it for sure. Uh, you remember the, the success Toronto having when they won the championship. Marcus Gasol was the center, uh, uh, you know, an old-school big, really good rim protector, um, one-on-one big defender. I mean, that's how he kind of, you know, ran the defense was rim protection first and then closing out on shooters. That was the idea. So uh, from that standpoint, defensively, I think Embiid fits him perfectly. Offensively, I'm really curious to see what that's going to look like because the reality is, I mean, Nurse had Kawhi Leonard for one season, the year they won. But other than that, he hasn't had like a a super ISO score in the the mold of Embiid. I mean – Pascal Siakam is a great player. He's very, you know, uh, a guy that really developed under Nurse into, you know, a perennial kind of all-star level guy. But he's just so different from Embiid. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just it, it, a, a guy who's just an ISO scorer. So I'm curious to see what it looks like. And the other thing is, too, Mike, like, as good as the Raptors' defense has been over the years, as much as Nurse has gotten acclaim for being such a good 
strategic thinker uh, defensively, schematically, some of the, the creative stuff he's come up with over the years. The Raptors haven't really been very good offensively for the last couple of seasons. Now, part of that is personnel, you know, outside of Siakam. And, you know, Fred Van Vliet's been, been battling injuries, so he's been sort of up and down. So um, I think the higher-end talent here is certainly what drew Nick Nurse, and it's pretty obvious compared with all due respect to the guys that are in Toronto, that Embiid, um, and if James Harden even returns, that those guys are offensively head and shoulders above anyone that Nick Nurse has had since Kawhi Leonard. Um, what does this say about the possible future of James Harden in your mind? I, I think a lot of people are kind of reading too far into it. I, I it's, it's hard to know either way because, uh, sure, if you wanted to just, you know, maybe, you know, really entice James to come back, I guess you could hire Mike D'Antoni and, and, and go that route, and, that, and that's what you could do. But, you know, and, and it's I think people read too far into little things. I mean, it, it, like – Joel Embiid and Nick Nurse didn't exactly have, you know, a, a great back and forth a couple of years ago in the playoffs, but I, they're competitive people. So when, when those things come out, when those competitive juices comes out and the, those fire, that fire comes out, it's going to lead to guys button heads. So, you know, him and Joel Embiid didn't necessarily see eye to eye on things, but clearly, uh, as it's been reported, they had a one on meeting. It went great. And the, the, the vision that Nick Nurse sees for Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid apparently agrees with it and likes it. So, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to to infer anything from from what we've seen. Now, I will say, one of the things that Nurse has been known for is kind of like productive confrontation. Um, you know, he's not afraid to call guys out. He's not afraid to do all that. How's that going to mess with James Harden? I mean, it, it's it, I, I don't know. It, it's different personalities. Like sometimes a, a guy can be like that, and it doesn't go over well because he just doesn't mess with that player. So, I mean, I think that's what's going to go a long way in determining kind of how that works out. So I, I wouldn't read too far into it either way. I'll say this, too. I, I think Daryl Morey does right by the Sixers to not worry about how that could affect James Harden and to just focus on what is the best – who is the best coach for the Sixers going forward? What makes the most sense for this for the Philadelphia 76ers? Uh, Paul Hutter from Liberty Ballers talking a little Sixers. Uh, they hire uh, Nick Nurse now. When you look at his Raptors days, it seems that he pushed his starters to the limit, right? So are we looking at another coach that is adverse to playing younger players? How do you see that whole element? That's probably the biggest red flag I have with Nurse is that he did really like he it apparently takes a lot to build trust with him as a player and uh, the guys that he does trust, he's going to play and he's going to play a lot. I, I, I do wonder how much, you know, I just, you know, I mentioned Van Vliet and his injury history. I wonder how much of that is because, you know, him and Pascal Siakam are always like top five in minutes in the NBA um, under nurse. So that's a pretty big concern. Uh, I, I have to say, because, you know, you can't play Joel Embiid minutes like that. Quite frankly, I, I think Doc Rivers probably played James Harden too much last year. And, and you know, I think James Harden wound up being top five in minutes per game at 33 years old, coming off a serious hamstring injury, uh, injury. So, um, if I had a if I had a concern, if I had a big red flag, that's probably the biggest one with Nurse. Um, with that said, I do think too he's proven to be adaptable. So I think if the Sixers and and Morey, more importantly Daryl Morey, comes to him with a plan and says, "Hey, this is how we have to manage Joel. This is how we have to manage James." Uh, the hope and the belief is that that more that. Nurse would be receptive to that and, and perhaps scale back minutes and, and let guys get breaks and let guys stay fresh for the postseason. Yeah, you know, you look at uh, Maxi. I guess he's the big guy in this whole thing. You know, when Kawhi left, 
Van Vliet went from a bench player to basically becoming an all-star player. And that's kind of what they need from Maxi. They need him to go from a starter to that next level. So do we think that Nick Nurse is the guy? Do the Sixers think that, that he's the guy that says, hey, there's more in Maxi and I can get it? Well, it's not even just Van Vliet. It's 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 Siakam too. I mean, Siakam turned into like he was a pretty good player when he when he got there. He turned into a star um, under Nick Nurse. So, yeah, I mean, there there's some belief there that maybe you can get the most out of a guy like Maxi. That you can get, quite frankly, the most out of your stars. That you can get the most out of Embiid. That you can get the most out of Harden under these guys. And I think that goes again. That goes back to kind of the 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 tactical standpoint and the strategic standpoint. Um, and, and you know, schematically finding ways to optimize Joel Embiid, uh, to optimize James Harden. And, you know, instead of – I get it, the pick and roll was such a fruitful action for them all season, but what's the counter to that now? And I think that's where maybe Nurse would come in and have that effect where he could say, all right, if, if they're going to do this to us, here are five things we could do to them or whatever. And I, I certainly do think Maxi as a guy who still so young, only at 22 years old, and there is something too, like, you know, the league kind of figures you out. It's like, okay, well, you're really fast and you can shoot threes. But – you know, we know that we can stop you this way, that way, and this way. And now Nurse can perhaps come in and say, well, here's what I did in Toronto to slow you down. Or here's what these other teams, I see what these other teams are doing to you. Here's how we can get bad. So I just think that brain um, that works like that for Nurse, I think that could be where Maxi could maybe get an advantage. And maybe that's where um, that next step comes is to know what the defenses are doing to him and to know the counters and nurse could, could certainly help that. With yeah. That I mean, calls. when, when, when they had Brett, they were a 50 win team and people thought, Hey, they need someone that can get them over the hump. They bring in doc who had won a championship and they're still stuck in the same spot. Do we think nurse is the guy now that can get them past this where they were? What does he bring that Doc was maybe lacking, I guess, is the is the question. Like, what did they see from him that they're saying Doc didn't bring us and we're still in the same spot? He can get us further where Doc was supposed to get us further from where Brett did. I'd say the, the, the biggest issue I always have with Doc Rivers, and you and I talked about it a bunch, is that sometimes he would just be rigid. It's just rigid in the way he does things, whether that's – whether that's schematically, whether that's rotation wise or, or whatever, he, he just, he had a rigidness to him that I think hurt him, uh, oftentimes. And I, I, nurse is the opposite in that regard. Nurse is a guy who is thinking on the fly, who's making adjustments in game, who's, you know, every game's different, the way he approaches, you know, and the way he builds game plans defensively, specifically for certain players and certain matchups. I mean, I think that's the kind of little things that, you know, they didn't have that advantage with Doc Rivers. And, you know, and you and I, I believe, are on the same page where I think Doc Rivers probably gets a little too much blame. With that said, I think it's pretty easy to see, given their recent coaching records, why Nurse could be an upgrade over Doc Rivers. And I think, you know, he's younger, too. I mean, he's, you know, not that much younger, but 10 years younger. Yeah. And I think he's just more more well, open to guys, new ideas. Both guys, Paul, real quick, I didn't mean to cut you off, but both guys were yeah. in a similar situation, it seemed, at the end, like where... Doc was like, I'm going to take some time off. And then, oh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Oh, that looks like a good opportunity. There was a lot of talk that Nurse just seemed like he just was kind of burnt out and maybe had to, needed some time off. And then, oh, now everybody wanted him. He picked Joel Embiid. Like, is there some, 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 uh, you know, thought that, hey, this is a guy that looked like he had run out of ideas in Toronto? Like, he was burnt out up there. It's almost like, you are coaching so hard because you don't have enough talent that you just run out of being able to coach so hard. 
Well, it happens too. I, 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 it's funny. I vividly remember they were Toronto was here in Philly. Yeah. And Nick Nurse spoke to us pregame, and Pompey asked him a pretty innocuous question about his future, and he just unloaded and just talked about how. You know, sometimes when you've been in an organization, he had been with the Raptors as an assistant or, or, or the head coach for 10 years. And sometimes it just reaches a point where you're like, okay, I have to reevaluate my options. And I think that can happen. I think the coach can wear on the organization. The organization can wear on a coach, certain players. Um, obviously, Fred Van Vliet seemed pretty excited about Nick Nurse getting a new opportunity. So he definitely has that guy in his corner. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it, it is a personality thing. I think that's the big difference, too, when you're talking about Doc, when you're talking about Nurse, too. Like, Doc was here for three years, and, and it seemed to wear pretty quickly. Uh, it, it took a, a, a pretty long time. That was the difference between him and Nurse, I think. You know, again, with the organization for 10 years before that started to wear. So I, I think it's Toronto saw an opportunity to move on, kind of like you said, you know, um, maybe not having the talent that, that the Sixers have. And maybe Nurse not being in line for a rebuild. Maybe that's not like he doesn't want to be there when they trade a Pascal Siakam, when they trade an OG Ananobi. He wanted yeah. to go somewhere. And, and I think when you look at the, the situation Nurse walked into in his first season, he took a, a team with Kyle Lowry, you know, previously DeMar DeRozan, that just couldn't get over the hump, that, that kept getting, you know, to the second round, kept losing to LeBron James, would win a ton of regular season games and not be able to get over that hump in his first year. Now, granted, with Kawhi Leonard in the fold, he was able to take that team and make basically get them from, you know, very good to great to winning a championship. And I think that's what you hope if you're the Sixers, if you're Darren Morey, that he can follow a similar, similar blueprint where he's handed this roster that has his talent, that's achieved some pretty good things, and, and make them a championship team. Uh, Thursday, the NBA Finals begin. You can hear him right here on 97.3 ESPN. We'll take a further look at what's next in the offseason now that the coach is in place. Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers, kind enough to join us here on a Tuesday edition as the Sixers hire Nick Nurse to be their next head coach. Thank you, Paul. You got him, Mike. Ah, there he is. He'll be back Thursday. We'll dive a little deeper into some of the moves now that can be made. James Harden, does he want to play for Nick Nurse? We know that Joel Embiid signed off on this. Him and Nurse met. Why did Nurse choose the Sixers over everybody else? Simple, he said, because of James Harden. Excuse me. <laughs> because of Joel Embiid, not James Harden. We don't know if Harden's going to be here or not. And the Eagles OTAs began today. They have six practices which began today. They go through Friday and then start again on Monday. So we'll dive into what's going on at these OTAs, the value of these practices. Football and more, Adam Kaplan is in the house. Coming up next right here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN, your home for Eagles football. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, which is having a busy week, I'm sure. The Eagles at OTAs. They are back on the field. The OTAs are here for the whole week. Adam Kaplan will explain a little bit more. The Inside the Birds podcast is all over it. And of course, we here 
at football at four on the sports pass. They have a bunch of practices set. We'll get the schedule from Adam. What are the storylines that the guys from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast are watching as the Eagles kind of taking center stage in the NFL world today as the defending NFC champs are back on the field at OTAs. Adam, what's going on? Mike, good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, it is OTA season. Not as many as uh, when I first started covering league. There were three to four weeks. Now there are, there are six days. Now, remember, the Eagles don't have a mandatory camp due to the, the agreement that head coach Nick Sirianni and the players have. And the Eagles are not the only team we should mention that has a short, shorter offseason. Uh, the Browns also end the same day the Eagles do on June 8th. Uh, there are, the Bengals, by the way, combined with their mandatory camp, only have six days of organized activity. So, yeah, it, it's different now, man. It's uh, pretty interesting that that not only Sirianni, but other teams are doing the same thing. Yeah, so six practices, they begin today. They'll go through Friday. And then next week, they'll pick back up for a couple of days. So why is this happening? Why is it changed from when you first started? Uh, because these OTAs seemingly went through the whole summer, it felt like. Right. So, or they seem like the whole spring. They, they, they basically take up, you know, the post-draft minicamp, the, the following weekend after the draft, and then the, the veterans would come in, but they don't do it anymore. In fact, it really started, Mike, in the 11 collective bargain, 2011 collective bargaining agreement where the players no longer wanted the coaches to have to, they didn't want them talking to them and, and, and coaching them where they're in the building trying to work out. Uh, they, they, they was one of the big things that the the players wanted in that CBA in 2011, and boy, the owners were happy to give them that. They didn't care. It's the coaches have to deal with it. Coaches weren't happy about it. I remember talking to coaches then; they were not happy at all because the, there's a saying in the National Football League: you don't get better without practicing more. So, uh, you know, it, the bottom line is, Mike, it's changed since that collective bargaining agreement, and then. Yeah, yeah. The, the Eagles would have the mandatory camp, which is three days. They don't have that, uh, so they lost those those three days. But what happens is the players basically sign off that they're going to be there, that they're going to have full participation unless they have an excused absence. And, we again, it's only the first day, so we've not heard of anyone missing. But they've had this agreement, and, and quite frankly, it's worked well. You know, we've not heard one complaint from the players headed into year three. Yeah, let's uh, take a little look, though. What are the value of these practices? Because you don't get as many as you used to get. So what are the teams, what are the coaches, and what are the players hoping to get out of these OTAs? Yeah, so let's let's start with the players, Mike. It, it's I know from talking to Bill Polian, the Hall of Fame general manager of the Colts, Bill said it became the point when, vet, when, when you get in the fourth, fifth, and sixth year, and then even later than that, you really don't have a lot of value for these players. He... he if I recall correctly, he said he didn't have a big problem with some of the veterans not showing up. Um, they had to be there for the mandatory camp, but because they were going to get the mandatory camp, which they had to be there for for three days plus training camp, because he would trust these players because they know the schemes. Now, it becomes a bigger challenge when you have new schemes. Well, Mike, yes, the offense and defenses are going to stay relatively the same, but you have new play callers. And Brian Johnson with um, the offensive line change that they're going to have at right guard, uh, they, they potentially have a new slot receiver or a new third receiver in Alameda Sakias. We'll probably talk about, we're going to talk about him a little bit later. And it's these players to get used to being around these coaches. And it's a good thing, Mike, quite frankly, to have this agreement with, with the head coach that they're all going to show up because they have to, it, it's getting, 
it's getting reinvigorated. Um, you're going to see kind of who shows in shape, who, who does not show in shape. But the big thing is the playbook. It's really important for the undrafted free agents, the rookies. Like if Reed Blankenship did not have last year, and Britton Covey especially, because this is where we were told it's one of the notes we had and their OTAs that Covey was like super important to what they thought they could do with him. Now <laughs> he didn't really do as well as they thought. Let's call it like it is, but. He was kind of one of the stars of the OTAs, and this is where these guys have to show up, quite frankly, plus plus training camp in the preseason. But this is where, from a player standpoint, from a rookie, an undrafted free agent, or a second-year player, it's very, very important. Yeah, trying to see who made that jump from the first year to that right. second year, uh, and that's the value of some of these practices. Not a lot of physicality in OTAs. How are these OTAs a little yeah. different from the training camps? Yeah, it's a good point, Mike. Because you, you you can't. In fact, you get fine if there's if there's any pushing or, or grabbing. You're not allowed to do that. It, there's very minimal physical play. In fact, what happens is, Mike, that the NFLPA most likely with every all 32 NFL teams, they will request video. Could be two or three days, and they go back and look at it. And they don't randomly. They'll just say, "Hey, guys, we." We want uh, these days, and look, you could you can get docked um, some OTA practices that, which is considering. Let, let's say the Eagles, Mike violated um, the 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 agreement. I mean, can you imagine if they lost one or two OTA days? Be, I mean, they, they can't afford it. So you got to be very very careful. And I remember over the years, I've seen it when there's a lot of grabbing and put, there's a little bit of pushing. Really not supposed to do that at these hotels. I've, I've been of Eagles, Ravens, and a couple others over the years where, where I could drive. And it's it's just more – it's sort of a line dance with offensive linemen because you can't you can't really get overly physical. you got to be careful with that. But it's real big, though, for the linemen because they're getting used to the footwork. Remember Jeff Stellan's technique, as Trey Thomas has told us over the years in, uh, on our Inside the Birds podcast and also on our pregame show is that Stalin has different techniques than most teams, and it's really different. For a guy like Tyler Steen, we're going to get into him. For the new players who have to who have to play a little differently than they did in the college, Mike, it's very, very important. We're talking with Adam Kaplan, football at four from the Inside the Birds podcast. The Eagles are back at OTAs for the week here. Uh, let's focus on a couple of players. Who are some guys uh, that these OTAs will have some bigger meaning for? Yes, yeah, so Alameda Sakias, who to me, Mike, is the favorite to win the number three job over Quez Watkins, who's now in the final year of his rookie deal. Watkins, we know, was very disappointing last season. He did point out that he played with a shoulder problem. That's fine, but bottom line is he didn't play well last season. And they're bringing competition for him. Sakias is a veteran. He was technically a starter last year for Atlanta. And he's in a one-year deal, a one-year prove-it deal. Not a lot of guaranteed money. And this is an opportunity for him. To win that job, he, he's a smaller guy. He's just under five foot nine, but he runs well. Uh, he's got really good hands. Really improved his hands over the years with Atlanta. And he comes in. Remember, he went to St. Joe's Prep, so he's from the area. He knows it from South Jersey, and now he's got a chance to make the team. And really, quite frankly, Mike, he could really help them because, as I said, Watkins didn't do well last season. Zach Pascal was strictly at a block. Rarely caught the football. He's now with Jonathan Gannon in Arizona, so that's a guy that when you know, we we'll get into kind of what the media could see, but and we'll talk to our sources about it. But Zacchaeus is a guy I'm really looking forward to seeing. 
Yeah, he's uh, obviously uh, one of the skill position players, but there's other guys. Uh, we'll get into some other guys' uh, skill position players too, but Tyler Steen, he might be a guy that people aren't as familiar with, but very important for him because he could be the starting right guard here. Yeah, and he had the rookie camp, though he's not going against any veterans. Was that ex- first exposure to, to offensive line coach Jeff Statlin and, and Brian Chauncey, offensive coordinator, and, and, and Sirianni, the head coach? Well, obviously, will will help oversee offense, but the, but he's got to get used to playing inside. So he got those reps there at right guard. He'll get them in training camp. He's certainly the favorite going into training camp, and obviously right now. And this is it here, Mike. It, it, it's just completely different when you're playing inside from playing tackle. It's just a different mindset. And he's never played guard before, so this is real big for him. Uh, there's no question about it. This is good for him to OTAs and then. For at running back, Mike Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift are going to compete for the starting job, whatever that whatever that starting job would look like in terms of touches and carries and so forth. This is a new offense for them, and th- this is a good opportunity for for Swift and, and Penny in particular to show that they're healthy. Both are both are, are sort of one year deals where Penny's on a true one year deal, and then Swift is is in the final year of his rookie contract. He too is from Philly, and this is a really good opportunity to to show what he can do and. And show the coaches because they're, they're both going to be counted on to have pretty significant roles here. Yeah, how big in your mind, Adam, do these co- quote-unquote competitions, do they begin here? Like Penny, Swift, Steen, Jurgens? Like is this the start of these competitions? It is, I, I get it. You can't you, you can't touch these guys. I know for running back it's kind of comical because it's – you literally can't touch these guys. So the, every running back should theoretically do well. But just to show them – the coaches that they know what they're doing. And that, that to me, Mike, is really because they run a lot of gap scheme, the Eagles do. Um, and they, they they haven't always done that, these running backs, so they're, they're going to be asked to do some of that here. So they have to show that, Mike, that they know what they're doing. But this is really big for them. This is the first, this is the first time the coaches get to see them. And to me, it's really important that they get off to a good start. It, the real competition, obviously, will be in training camp. That's where it starts with every NFL team. Yeah. But it gets started here just for them to show what they know what they're doing. Uh, Adam Kaplan, football for defense. Uh, obviously, a lot of new names. In fact, you can ask, you know, if this is the yeah. biggest area of concern, uh, all the new faces on the defensive side of the ball. So who are some guys you're keeping your eye on this week on defense? Mike, they're going to have a minimum of five new starters in defense. They could have more depending on certain situations, depending who's healthy and competition and so forth. But – Obviously, Jordan Davis, we, we reported this on Inside the Birds um, six to eight weeks ago that he, he he's taken his weight seriously, showed up to their offseason program in really good shape, comparative to last season when he was a rookie. But as I, I've, I've cautioned people on our show, particularly last week, I get it, he's in better shape, but we're not really going to know where he's at until the dog days at training camp, particularly for the first week of training camp in late July, early August to see what his conditioning – it's about conditioning. It's not so much his weight anymore. That's not the problem. The challenge is his conditioning. Is he getting gassed after five or six plays? That cannot happen anymore, which happened last season. And then Jalen Carter, obviously, because, Mike, it's not a talent level. It's not so much his conditioning. It's is he staying on the straight now and we'll be looking into that? Is he doing everything he's supposed to be doing off the field? Then Nolan Smith, Mike, we're going to be looking about – we know he's going to play outside linebacker, but – do they have him lining up at, at defensive end? He's a little light to play that, but he can do it. He's done it in the past. And the safeties, Mike, we're, 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 I mean, when we look at defense, yeah, Charles Edmonds and Sidney Brown should be the starters, but they're not guaranteed it. No, quite frankly, Mike, let's call it like it is. No one at safety 
is guaranteed any role. None of them are. Uh, it's just that Evans and Sidney Brown are the favorites to start, but it doesn't mean they will. And and for Evans, he's new here. He's got he's on a one year prove it deal. Sidney Brown is learning a different way to play safety here. Justin Evans is on a one year deal. So Mike, yeah, that you're you're right. I mean, there, there's so much competition, and then for the backup cornerback jobs, yeah, I, I get Eagles don't have very the, I, Eagles don't have quality depth at all at cornerback. They just have a lot of guys there, and it doesn't that doesn't mean depth. We we've tried to say this for five years. Depth has nothing to do with how many people you have at a position. It's how many people you feel good about. The Eagles' quality of depth is not good enough until we're pr- proven otherwise. Zach McPherson on the third year was a four year rookie deal. He's got to take a big step up. Um, yes, he's got the he's got the more the more or less the fourth outside cornerback uh, job. He's a leader for that. Doesn't mean he'll be that. Mario Goodrich second year, Josh Job second year, the two undrafted rookies, Eli Ricks and, and Mackay Gar- Garner. They're, they're, Mike, they're they're competing for it. They are. I mean, these jobs are open. That I would. Say, I know some people are saying it's not a good thing that these jobs are open. I, I'm not. I'm taking it like let's see what happens. Competition, Mike, usually brings the best out of these guys, and let's see what happens. And then, of course, if it's not going well, they can always sign another veteran, which I wouldn't rule out. Yeah. What about Ringo too? I mean, he's he's a guy yeah. that's in this mix as well, right? Yeah. Well, he's on the he'll be on the team. He's not getting cut no matter what. He's a fourth round pick. But Mike, he's got some rawness to him. He it, it the, the only question for him is okay, it, could, he, could he surprise us and be the fourth corner? Sure, certainly. That would be a surprise to me. He's going to be on the team. Now, we're in late May now. The only the, the question for us right now is we, we, we go forward here in late May. Will he dress every week? Will it be the fifth corner? Nobody has any idea because they're not to training camp yet. But we, 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 have, to, we have to be careful of expecting a lot here because there's a reason why he dropped to the fourth round. There were some questions with him. Um, he's, some stiffness and some off the field stuff, uh, which were Meyer, but there's some questions about him. So you just have to be patient here, but he's got the height, weight, and speed that you look for. And then, of course, uh, these OTAs are the first time these two new coordinators are getting the opportunity to get out there as right. well. That's got to account for something for these guys for the first time as the guys calling the shots, essentially. Right. And Michael Clay, we should mention the, the special teams coach because it's the, Bottom of the roster guys who comprise most of special teams, and they're going to learn about that. Uh, Tyler Brown, as a specialist coach, uh, will learn as well. And then Sean Desai, he's going to run the Fangio scheme. We're told. Uh, we, we, as we noted first at the combine when we we talked about Sean was probably going to be defensive coordinator. Uh, one of the attractions the Eagles had is he could run the Fangio scheme, but no. It's his version of it. They're going to be tweaks. Every it's no different than when you run a West Coast offense. Nobody runs one hundred percent of Bill Walsh. You you can run most half of it, but you don't run to the T exactly what the, the late great Bill Walsh ran. So we'll see what the Sai runs. And with Brian Johnson, they're running the same offense, but he may call it differently. Now he's going to have Sirianni in his ear. He'll have um, Kevin Petullo. We're told who's a big game planner during the week. He's sort of like the Mike Rowe of this. If you remember, Mike Rowe was not the offense coordinator until he got elevated. But the, the, he, early on, he was the receivers coach, but heavily involved in game planning. So he's going to have guys involved. And then you know what? Um, Alex Tanney, who's now the quarterback's coach, he's a former player. I know he's a journeyman with like almost a dozen teams, but he's a guy I'm very interested to see how much input he has every week. Uh, Adam Kaplan, lastly, you know, we take a look at um, – 
these OTAs, you guys will be able to get there for what, two periods? Yeah. In fact, if man, when I first started covering it in nine and 2099 up really up to like four or five years ago, you would essentially get almost all, you would pretty much get everything open. I don't know what happened. I don't know why. We're, I think we only get two of the six. Uh, I know the first one is late this week. I, it's uh, probably Thursday. In the past, they've done a Thursday, and then uh, they'll announce what's next week. But I, I don't understand why we only get two. I don't know why the hell the <laughs> – I'm kind of puzzled about why we don't get more. Uh, that, that to me, and I, I don't know what goes on in the other markets. But I know they've kind of sh- – they shrink this thing. And I know – look. I get it. Like Sirianni's not going to do anyone any favors, though he's very kind of media friendly. But when it comes to practicing, practices, coaches would rather you not watch anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm so old. I remember when Andy Reid would let us watch every practice during the regular season until we got kicked out because some of the guys violated his agreement, which bothered us. Those of us who like to go to practice, which is me and a couple other people. So it is what it is. But uh, we'll get it. We'll, we'll as we always do with our with. Um, with our post OTA and from Intel, we, we always find out who looked good and who didn't look good. But I, I, I also always caution people be careful of reading too much into it because once training camp starts, it means it, it's almost like OTAs didn't happen. It, it, I'm telling you that that more often than not, OTAs mean nothing after the training camp starts. All right. Uh, well, they're this week. We've got football back uh, in its form that we get it. OTAs today through Friday. They're off Saturday, Sunday. They'll be back Monday through Thursday. They're off on Wednesday. So Monday, Tuesday, Thursday next week. And then a little idle time until training camp begins. But the guys over at Inside the Birds will be talking all about it and right here on Football at Four. Adam Kaplan, thanks, buddy. Oh, yeah. By the way, we got Tra- Clay Harbor from Eagles tight end Trey Harbor. Clay Harbor was the subject of Inside the Birds today uh, on uh, all of our platforms. So uh, Clay was phenomenal, and you can follow him on Twitter. And then also um, we got a couple announcements coming. I don't know about soon, but for, for fall program, and that'll probably come out sometime in the next four, to, three to four weeks. I would. Think. Yeah, Clay's really good. We've had him on the radio, so any uh, football Great. conversation you can have with him, check that out over on all the Inside the Birds platforms. Thanks, bud. Thank you, Adam Kaplan at Kaplan NFL, and of course, football at four here on the Sports Bash Live ninety seven three ESPN. We give you football at four each and every day on the Sports Bash. But when we come back, we got the sound of the day including in today's sound of the day. Does Nick Nurse really want to coach James Harden? You'll hear what Tim Legler thinks. Plus, how far off are the Sixers? That's what J.J. Redick is talking about. You'll hear that in sound of the day coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back for Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, we're back on a Tuesday. Sports Bash, Mike Gill, Josh Henning, my producer. We got the sound of the day. I got, um, by the way, I got a chance, Josh, you'll like this. I walked the campus of the University of Tennessee the other day. Yeah. Might be the most massive football stadium I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it looks amazing on television. So it even is better in person. massive. I know there's bigger stadiums. I've never seen these in person. But being in person, that place is gargantuan. It is unbelievably big. 
I mean, they can hold, I believe it's about 100,000 as capacity. Yeah, it's 101. It's the sixth biggest in the country. But just the structure of it is unbelievable. It's just like to see it, you're just like, whoa. Pretty cool campus. You know, I like to walk campuses. So a lot of people who uh, know me or see me walking around, you'll see me wearing like random college T-shirts. You got Tennessee now. I got Tennessee added to the mix. Here's the problem. Tennessee is very, very orange. Yeah, it's like orange cream. I mean, it is orange. And everybody down there rocks the orange. So, like, you kind of feel like you're trying to fit in. So I went with an orange Tennessee polo. So when are you going to break it out here in the studio? I don't know, man. It's really orange. Like, when you buy it, it's one of those impulse buys. Like, everyone around me is wearing orange, so I guess I fit in. But then you get it home, and you're like, I really went with an orange polo. It's not orange as you know it, and I know it, people. This thing is orange. I mean, do you, do you feel like a an orange well, when you're wearing it? Like, is that what we're talking no, about? Or it, like- it's, I mean, it's just a different level of orange. I will say this. You know me. I rock the polo underneath the three quarters. So if, if right. worst case scenario, I can wear it underneath something. Right. But to pull that off by itself is daunting for a man of my size. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I'm being, you, you got to be truthful with yourself here. Ah, I'm you not, gotta, you I'm not the smallest it. guy in the world. Yeah, you're, you're just, you're just owning your reality. Yeah, we're all, I mean, you got to be you know, true to yourself here. Uh, I can't pull off that color orange by itself, I don't think. I mean, I don't know if I could, honestly, either, so. I don't know. I can't speak for you. I know me. No. I'm, not, I'm it's a, not working. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna have to like gradually ease, like, you know, I might have like a week or two left. Like I could have worn it today underneath. I probably could have got away with like a three quarter zip. I'm just wearing a, I'm wearing my, uh, lower Cape May Caper Tiger. From my man Lance Bailey sent me this. I got my lower Cape May uh, polo on today. Yeah, it's good. It's a good polo. Solid polo. See the head coach down there. He he said, "Hey, you 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 know uh, cover the program. We'll send you a nice shirt." I got Under Armour. I mean, they went Under Armour on me here. Solid job by the Caper Tigers. This is a really nice. They got they got one of the most underrated like color schemes. Yeah, it's the it's the light blue, baby blue, the black. It's nice. They have the yellow. This doesn't have the yellow in it, but uh, so there you go. But yeah, orange is a little out of my comfort zone. So, well, let I'm looking forward to seeing when you do get around to wearing. We'll see what the te- it's supposed to be like in the 60s this week, so I may be able to get away with it. Maybe with a with a zip over top. I'm saying. I mean, I'm wearing jeans today. So. I have pants on. I mean, I generally will. You know. I don't know. It was a little chilly when I left the house this morning. Oh, it was chilly this morning. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. What do you got for me? Uh, what I got for you is some sound of the day. So you mentioned before the break about the conversation. Where are the Sixers in the Eastern Conference hierarchy? Well, J.J. Redick talked about that this morning. That where were the Sixers before and now after getting Nick Nurse as their head coach? J.J. Redick this morning on First Take said this. Go back to game six of that Philadelphia-Boston series. Mm-hmm. They're one Jason Tatum three-point barrage away from going to the conference finals and having a chance to play for the championship. Mm-hmm. This team is not that far off. Right. They're not that far off. It's also mentioned Joel Embiid hurt again in the playoffs. That's out of the coach's hands. I, if Joel is healthy, 
and at his best in the playoffs, which a lot of this at his best thing is because he's been hurt. Nearly every playoff run, he's had to deal with an injury or play through an injury or he's missed games, which has cost his team games. Like, if he's healthy, we may be having a different conversation today about the NBA Finals. That's a reality. I, I just, I refuse to believe in the Eastern Conference with all the question marks that we have. We've already talked about the Boston Celtics, Milwaukee getting older, Brooke Lopez being a free agent, Chris Middleton having a player option. We don't even know what the Eastern Conference is going to be. I don't think this team is that far off. I don't disagree with them. I think as fans, generally, people overreact. You lost the game. You're simply not good enough. No, they were in the game in a game seven, even though they got blown out. If they played that game ten times, it could have easily flipped the other way. Absolutely. Just on that particular day when they played, they weren't good enough. Doesn't mean they're not good enough. Just on that particular day, they weren't good enough. I think the Sixers are right there. They could be where the Heat are right now. What are they missing? That is what we need to figure out. Where is this team and what are they missing? Was it as simple as they just need to change the coach? Uh, I don't think that that's the whole (laughs) – I don't think that's the whole fix, is just changing the coach. I have said over the years, I don't blame Doc Rivers. He's not my number one issue with this team. They are not good enough. They're not athletic enough. They do not have that. I mean, outside of Joel Embiid, James Harden is not consistent enough. Tobias Harris's contract just sucks the life out of this roster, Imagine taking $36 million off this roster and filling it with different role. That's essentially what Tobias is. He's just a role player. Right. You don't have a $36 million output. You have a role player for $36 million. So the Sixers could essentially be like the Miami Heat. They have Jimmy Butler and they have Bam Adebayo. Those two guys make all the money. Everybody else is just a well-oiled role player. And it gets back to the question you brought up earlier in the show, Mike, about development, about how Miami with Eric Spolstra, Nick Nurse in Toronto, those two coaches and their organizations had developed the players into who they became. And you could argue that since Brett Brown left, the organization has not done a good job at developing the younger guys. Yeah, and they haven't given them a chance. They haven't given them the opportunity to get a lot of minutes. It's been one of the big problems I've had with Doc, uh, more so than anything else, is I, I always argued, why not just let Paul Reed play, see if he can handle the minutes, and if he can't, you know you can go to DeAndre Jordan right. or uh, Montrez Harrell. The whole point of having the veteran is like a fallback. It's a crutch. The crutch shouldn't be used first. You should use the crutch <laughs> after you figure out you can't walk. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's almost like the organization, they were just so impatient with getting to where they wanted to go that they looked at the younger players like, I don't have time to deal with this. Well, the question I have will be, what is Nick Nurse's plan for the younger guys how does he plan on using paul reed if he's back does he get jalen springer does he you know we we almost forget about springer he is an excellent defensive player but does nick nurse look at him as an asset of hey you guys aren't getting anything from that kid and he's an asset that you guys can because if you can get that kid to play rotational minutes with his defense 
and then find a way to get some scoring from him. Nine, you know, eight. You look at a guy like Caleb Martin, for instance. All right. Um, he is a player in the regular season that averaged, I don't know, like 10 points a game. Yeah, he's averaging almost double his regular season in this in that uh in Well, that my point is this. finals, yeah. Springer is 6-4, he's kind of an off-guard small forward. That's essentially what Martin is. Martin's like a 6-5 kind of, you know, wing guy. Yeah, he's a wing guy. If you have an athletic wing that can give you 8-9 points, in other words, just give me something offensively. Right. His defense is a huge asset that you could potentially be adding to this roster. And and uh, that's why I asked you the question earlier, Mike, and I'll bring it up again right here for a moment. Do we think that part of the reason why you hired Nick Nurse was because you're going to maybe modify this roster a little bit to be more athletic? I think that's what we're going to be trying to figure out over the next couple of days because it's what happens with Harden. And then once Harden decision is made, now what? Does Harden look at this hire and say, because obviously the reports are that he pushed Rivers out the door, essentially. Well, we know he would prefer probably. We don't know that. I mean, that we're just assuming. But is he on? Does do they hire Nick Nurse and him say, you know what? I want to stay here because of that. Or do they hire Nick Nurse because they know Harden's out the door? Because speaking of that, Tim Legler and JJ Reck had a conversation this morning about what about Nick Nurse? I mean, Nick Nurse said he wanted the job because of Joel Embiid. Nowhere does it say he wanted the job because of James Harden. Legler and JJ Reddick this morning on first take. Nick Nurse taking this job. Is this something that's attractive to him to coach a guy like Harden that plays the way he plays, that's had some postseason issues the way that he has at this stage of his career? Or does it indicate that maybe he thinks potentially James Harden is not going to be in Philadelphia? Well, that's an interesting question. Before J.J. Chops, and I will say this. I think anybody that takes the Philadelphia 76ers job at this moment in time, it's all about the opportunity to coach a great player like Joel Embiid. That's one, two, and three reasons why you're taking that job and everything else comes later. Yeah, the whole hearted thing to me is up in the air now. Because, yes, the reports are out there. Why did Nick Nurse want this job? Well, he wanted to coach Joel Embiid. They met. They had dinner. They met at his house. Or I don't know where they met. I, I don't know what they made. They had dinner. I have no idea. But the reports are that. Nurse met with Embiid, and Embiid essentially signed off on the hire. Right. I don't know. Did he meet with Harden? I didn't hear that. No, I didn't hear that at exactly. all. Exactly. And by the way, look at Milwaukee. You know, the story is, is that, you know, uh, Griffin, him and Giannis met, and Giannis was like, oh, I really like this guy. And that was a huge reason why they hired him in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Well, the question that I have interest in is, did Milwaukee want to hire Nick Nurse? And Nick Nurse say, no, I don't want I don't want this job. Take well, my name out of the running. The report was on Saturday that Nurse removed his name from the running for that job. And the Suns job. Well, he removed it from Milwaukee first, though. And that's but I'm saying, he, but the Suns were also interested in Nurse. Correct. And Nurse essentially said, I want the Sixers job. Right. So, I mean, if the report is... So this goes back to... By the way, sorry. This goes yeah. back to the Reddick thing. Nurse doesn't think the Sixers are too far off. Right. Nurse looks at probably the Sixers and says, they got they had two bad games. They lost a series against a team that was superly inconsistent in the Celtics, who just lost to the Miami Heat or in the NBA Finals for the second time in four years. Nurse is probably looking... Just like we said earlier, Reddick was saying, you look around the Eastern Conference... There's no dominant force of nature. There's no 
alpha team in the There's Eastern no Conference. Al- alpha team anywhere. Well, that too. But I mean, like for in the Eastern Conference moving forward, there's no LeBron, there's no Jordan, there's no, there's no gatekeeper. And the and the new CBA, they are deterring teams from being able to continue to build. Extremely deterring. Yeah. So the Celtics have a really difficult path on their hand if they're going to keep Jalen Brown around. You can't have two guys, Brown and Tatum, making a five hundred million, thirty five percent of your cap. Yeah, it's totally untenable. And so you have to wonder, as Legler was asking, does Nur- did Nurse come here to coach Harden? Doesn't sound like he did. Yeah, that, this one's interesting to me. And I don't know, did him and Maury, because him and Maury have worked together in the past. Yes. Uh, did him and Maury meet and, and Maury say, listen, I'll find a way to get rid of Tobias Harris. And I'm going to get you a more athletic roster. Because Jalen Springer, I bring him up again. But he would fit the more of the Nick Nurse role of a guy who is a perimeter defender who can switch and, you know, go sideline to sideline. Now, I don't know. I'm not sitting here saying, hey, you're putting all your eggs in the Springer basket. But I'm saying players of that type of skill set is more what he had in Toronto, And I'll bring it up that Siakam and Tobias Harris both have almost the same exact cap number next well, year. Well, yeah, if you can make that trade. But I don't know why Toronto would just do a, hey, here you go, take our guy and we'll take your guy. Well, I mean, obviously, to include something else in the deal. But I'm just wondering, you know, if Toronto is so serious about doing a rebuild, which is a lot of the conjecture out there, one of the reasons why Steve Nash apparently is interviewing for the job because they need – someone to kind of hold the fans over for a year or two is letting Siakam walk part of that game plan because we know the free agent class, not this offseason, but next offseason is the one that a lot of teams are keeping an eye on. Yeah, I I mean, listen, all of it makes sense in terms of a rebuild, all this, but you're essentially saying take our player for your player. There's no upper hand here. The Sixers don't have picks to give, really. So I don't know where that really works. I, I, I do it in a heartbeat. If you told me I'm getting Siakam for Harris, I'd do that in a second. I just don't know why Toronto would want to help out the Sixers. That's all. Yeah, true. Uh, speaking of Toronto, Doris Burke was on SportsCenter, and she had a very interesting thought about Nick Nurse and his style of coaching coming to Philadelphia. Well, here's what intrigues me about Nick Nurse. Think back to the 2019 finals and how what happens in the NBA. He goes to a triangle and two and a box and one. And all of a sudden, the NBA, you see teams now have that as tools in their tool bag. He is incredibly creative on the defensive end of the floor. I think he's a tremendous coach. But I would say this to you. Does the roster at all change given how he likes to play aggressively? You've got to be locked in and focused and be thinking for an entire 24 seconds. And then Joel Embiid. Nick is a guy who very much like Tom Thibodeau will play his starters big minutes. So those are the two things that came to my mind first and foremost. Well, the first part of it's very interesting. You know, the triangle and two, we talked about this earlier. That's what I, when I look at Nick Nurse, I think of a guy who varies his defenses from night to night. You know, we talk about a Tuesday night in February. Nick Nurse is pulling out all the stops to try to win on Tuesday night in February a lot of the time. Is he going, and then what she said secondly there, is she going to ride Joel Embiid? Uh, is she? Is he going to ride Joel Embiid for 
38 minutes a night in the regular season. James Harden, one of the problems we had with Harden this year was we thought we played him too much. So I think that's going to be an interesting balance that needs to be kind of looked at. Yeah, and, you know, is it – did they – you know, Siakam and Fred Van Vliet were among the leaders in the NBA the last couple of years. They were top ten in the NBA. I think Siakam either this past year or the year before led the NBA in minutes per game. I double-checked that. But, you know, so I'm wondering – did he play those guys all those minutes because he had to or because that's his go-to style? Because a lot of people are suggesting, hey, Joel and B better come into camp in shape because Nick Nurse is going to play these guys and play them hard. We know Nurse loves to, you know, run different defenses and stuff. You know, are you going to ask Embiid to potentially morph his game again to, you know, fit in with Nurse or does Nurse say, hey, I'm going to build this around you? Well, it sounds as if the latter. It sounds as if, why did I want to coach this team? Joel Embiid. And I had a meeting with him. And then according to the Woj report, the report essentially said that Nurse separated himself in the interview process, selling a vision for the Sixers centered on Embiid. So he sold the Sixers, I'm going to center this team around Joel Embiid. And his talents. And I guess the Sixers said, hey, this is our guy. We want this team. If we want to win a championship, we want to win it with Joel Embiid as the centerpiece. So if that's the case, then do we look at Nurse and say, all right, well, what does building around Embiid mean? Because if you're building around Embiid, does that make it less likely that Harden comes back? Well, I guess they ask him, is a Embiid-Harden pairing essential for you? Or do you think... And he might say, no, 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 Embiid, Maxi, those are the two guys. And who knows? We'll find out, I guess, in the coming days. June 1st, I think. Is it? Thursday? June 1st is Thursday. Is that the day that uh, free agents can start signing? No, no, it's July. That'd be July. July 1st. June 1st is the NBA Finals. Oh, yeah. No, I meant July. My bad. No. The July 1st. Is, yeah, July 1st. That's yes. what I meant. July 1st is the first day. Yes. So we have about a month. Those time zones really messed you up. <laughs> I don't even know what day it is. What day is it? Tuesday? <laughs> it's Tuesday. Yeah. I can confirm it's Tuesday. Cool. <laughs> All right. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Uh, yeah. So July 1st is when the free agents can start to sign. The draft doesn't even uh, happen until the 20th. I mean, the that, NBA that, that Tennessee Orange really seared your brain. Yeah, it was very scarring. Yeah. It was very bright in my I face. I mean, you're, you're used to the blue and the yellow. Not so much. Oh, well, West Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Gold. It's gold. That's right. Gold. Gold and blue. blue. Old gold. Old gold. Fine. All right, coming up. I'm going to go to uh, the Home Depot and ask for old gold now, okay? Probably get it. Uh, coming up, we got uh, plenty more on the Nick Nurse hiring. You'll hear what J.J. Reddick thinks. You'll hear what Stephen A. Smith said. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. You're going to want to get your thoughts You guys have been texting in throughout the day, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Let us know if you think Nick Nurse has something that Doc Rivers didn't. It's simply the coaching change that will finally put the Sixers over the top. More coming up on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN.
Now, Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Uh, Philly's lineup is out. It's brought to you by Clark's Moving and Storage. And one big name is out of the Phillies lineup tonight. That's Bryce Harper. He's having the night off. I know he did not play yesterday because the team did not play. This was a routine day off for him. He has played in every single game since the Phillies uh, activated him. So he is not in the lineup today. Kyle Schwarber is going to be your DH tonight. But here's the lineup in New York against the Mets. It's Bryce and Stott leading off. Trey Turner hits second, and Castellanos is hitting third. Kyle Schwarber is the DH. He hits fourth. JT Realmuto catches, hits fifth. Alec Bohm is at third base tonight. He hits sixth. Brandon Marsh is in center field. He hits seventh. Cody Clemens is at first base. He hits eighth. And batting ninth and playing left field is Dalton Guthrie. Your pitcher tonight is Ranger Suarez. No, Bryce Harper, when asked about it today, Rob Thompson said routine day was planned, and that's the way it's going to be. Over at 973ESPN.com, I wrote about adding a guy to this lineup, a right-handed bat, Jesus Aguilar, who, hey, quite frankly, this team needs a right-handed power bat. Uh, he's hitting 285 with four home runs against left-handed pitching this year. And people, I don't understand how people cannot open up their mindset. I'm not saying they don't need pitching. This guy was designated for assignment by Oakland. He was available. So I suggested you go after him and add him to a lineup that needs a right-handed bat. We need pitching. We need pitching. Well, no crap you need pitching. Do you see any available? Because I certainly don't. There's no law against you not being able to fix two problems at the same time. I mean, people act like you can only do one thing. I get it. They need pitching. But they really need a right-handed bat in the middle of this lineup. And And I really stress, look, people are like, well, I like Cody Clements. He's done a nice job. Cody Clements can't play every day. All right? This is to... Have Cody Clemens can stay at first base against right-handed pitchers. Aguilar would hit against lefties. This would keep Bohm at third base every day. It would get Sosa. And I like Sosa, but he is overexposed. You can't play him every day. So Aguilar would essentially be taking the Sosa at bats. Look, one of the keys to a team like Tampa Bay's success with the Rays is they have a lot of guys who platoon. And they use that platoon to their full advantage. Well, the Phillies need a right-handed power bat to platoon at first base. Because even getting Derek Hall back, he bats left-handed. Too many lefties. Aguilar available. I take a flyer on him. Throw him into the right-handed uh, at bats at first base against left-handed pitching. And see if he can jumpstart the offense. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Final hour of the show, the Sixers make the news. They hire Nick Nurse to be their next head coach. You guys reacting at Mike Gill show. Let's look at the Twitter poll and see what you guys think. It was overwhelming that you love the move. Over 250 votes are in. 63% love it. 35% said, eh. And 2% said, you hate it. 
So if you love the move, 63% say you love it, and 35% say eh, and only 2% of you hate it, what is the end result of this move? In your mind, hiring Nick Nurse does what for the Sixers? 609-403-0973. Like, I like Nick Nurse. He would have been probably my pick. If you said these were the six guys, which there was. There were six options, according to reports. J.J. Redick was not an option. They had six names. Vogel, Monty Williams, Sam Cassell, Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer, and Mike D'Antoni. Of the six options that were reported, the one that I said, I think I would pick if it were me, was Nick Nurse. I like Nurse. I think he is a smart guy, well-prepared. I think he thinks outside the box. He's a little bit of an eccentric dude. Um, so I think Nurse is an interesting hire for the team. I also don't... I think differently than a lot of people out there. I'm not someone who thinks that the coach is the problem on this team. Like, if Doc Rivers came back, I wouldn't have been like, oh, they really screwed that up. Like, I think Doc Rivers got this team about as far as most people thought they should have gone. I mean, how many people out there listening said, I think the Sixers should be in the NBA Finals, and in the same breath said they're not better than Boston? You can't have it both ways. So does Nick Nurse replacing Doc Rivers make them better than both Boston and then, of course, better than Miami, Milwaukee, all of these teams that are in the mix? You guys let me know what you're thinking, 609-403-0973. Mike, I mentioned last week on vacation uh, I think, no, actually, sorry, this is uh, Andrew in Summer's Point. I'm reading the wrong text message. I'm still a little messed up. Apologize. Take he two. says, blah, blah, blah. I think Nurse and Embiid will bump heads. I'll stop right there. Maybe they will, but Embiid endorsed Nurse. Also, is is bumping heads always a bad thing? Maybe is that not an opportunity? Maybe that's something Embiid needs. Maybe yeah. he needs someone to bump heads with. Yeah. But here's the thing, Andrew. Nurse wanted to coach Embiid, and Embiid signed off on Nurse being the coach. Right. So if they're going to bump heads, it's out of respect. We would think anyway. I mean, I would at least assume so based on what we currently know. Uh, Nurse will want to use him as a true center. He'll want him posting, not sitting at the three-point line, taking three-point shots. Well, we don't know that. We're just assuming that. But maybe Embiid... Bought into it. Maybe Embiid said, you know what? We've been trying it my way. Maybe what's best for the team is that we do it a different way. Like, here's something interesting, what's going on right now. And this is why you have to be rooting for Denver to win the NBA championship. You could make an argument that Joel Embiid was a little disgruntled by the fact that he didn't win the MVP last year or the year before. Correct. Okay, so maybe Joel Embiid's mind is, I'm better than Jokic. I should have been the MVP. Well, this year he wins the MVP, and Jokic is still playing, and he's not. So maybe Embiid now looks at that and says, I won my MVP. This guy's in the finals. Now I have to do what he did. Right. And to get there, I've shown that I can win an MVP, and part of me winning the MVP is because why? I can shoot threes. I play on the perimeter. I do multiple things offensively. Plus, I play really good defense. 
But now for my team to take the next step, I've won my award. Maybe for my team to take the next step, I need to, to kind of evolve my game to another level. And maybe that was part of the sales pitch. Maybe the pitch to him was, hey, Joel, congratulations. You're the league MVP. But we want to get you to the next level. Right. That's the thing is – and this is where the coach comes into play because, as Andrew says, no coach has ever been able to get Embiid to buy into that. And I try to tell you because you guys didn't like Brett Brown. He needs to get Embiid down there. Well, then they hired Doc Rivers. I said, no coach is making these guys do something they don't want to do. Correct. The coach just can't say, you're going to play in the post, whether you like it or not. You have to sell them on it that it makes sense. You can't just, you know, heavy as the hand no, that's not the way that it works here. People act like the coach is just going to come in there and tell these guys it's my way or the highway. No, because then the highway will be for the coach. They're finding a new guy. In, in the Jeff Perlman book about the Lakers of the late 90s, early 2000s, it talks about when they hired Phil Jackson, that at first Shaq was not a fan of the idea. So Phil personally met with Shaq and had him come out to his place in Montana and they sat down and they talked and Phil explained to him, he said, look, I need you to buy in. If you don't buy in, the other guys will not. He said, and they, they talked about it and Shaq committed himself after talking to Phil Jackson and said, all right, I'm going to go get in the best shape of my life. Because Phil said, I will make you great, but you gotta, you gotta trust me. You gotta give me the opportunity to to push you to that greatness. Yeah. And that's when they started winning championships. Shaq's winning MVPs because he bought into what Phil was saying. Because before that, Shaq had a bit of a reputation as a little lazy, a little bit, you know, you know, loving the L.A. life, right? You know, but then when Phil came in, he refocused. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm trying, like, uh, I think it's, is it tomorrow night? The NBA TV is doing the story on the Sixers team, everything but the title. I I have to double check if it's it might be tomorrow night. I'm assuming it's tomorrow night because the finals are Thursday. So so it's basically they're doing a story on the 2001 Sixers, and we know the story here for the most part. But you know, Allen Iverson and Larry Brown had this clash. They 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 bumped heads a lot, but Iverson in the end always respected Brown and said that's my coach. He got more out of me than anybody else, and Iverson. You know, or excuse me, Brown always said this was the toughest job ever was to get more out of Allen Iverson and coach him hard while Iverson essentially didn't want to be coached hard, but he did want to be coached hard. It is tomorrow night, by the way. So it's tomorrow night. Yes. Are we at that point with Joel where maybe he, you know, because – Allen had who was his first coach? Was it Johnny Davis, the first coach? I think it was when actually. he got uh, drafted, and you know you had a rookie head coach. Did he play for two, three head coaches before they brought on? He had at least two before um, Larry. Larry, right? So much like Embiid, who went through Brett Brown. He liked Brett. Brett let him kind of do what he wanted. I don't think Brett was very heavy handed. And Joel was kind of an immature young guy at the time. Now you bring in Doc Rivers, who, look, Doc, we talk about like Jonathan Gannon, for instance. Every single Eagle on the Eagles defense had a career year, and everybody hates John Gannon. Every single defensive player had their best year of their career 
last year in the John Gannon system. Well, Joel Embiid just had the best year he's ever had playing for Doc Rivers. So it's not as if Doc Rivers didn't know what to do with Joel Embiid. He got more out of Joel Embiid than anyone's ever gotten out of Joel Embiid. So is Nick Nurse going to get more out of Joel Embiid, or is he going to get different out of Joel Embiid? By the way, it was just Johnny Davis before Larry Brown. So so Johnny Davis, then Larry Brown. Right. And then I guess it was, man, you had like Jim O'Brien in there for a year, then he got canned. Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks. Uh, I know Chris Ford was in there for an interim period. Um, Actually, it was Randy Ayers was the next coach after Larry. Randy Ayers was the coach after Larry. Then it was Jim O'Brien. Because he was the assistant on Larry's staff. Right. Yeah, that doesn't usually work out well. Although Nick Nurse was that guy. He was. Randy Ayers, I have sat next to him at many a games. He scouts for somebody now. You like that Randy Ayers? I've had a couple conversations with him just sitting because, you know, in the media section, sometimes, you know, the guy next to you, he could be a scout for – you know, they call them advanced scouts. Like, so if somebody's playing the Sixers, like, this week. Right. You know, let's say the Sixers are playing the Knicks on Monday, and then they're supposed to play, you know, Washington on Wednesday. Randy Ayers would be the advanced scout. I don't know what team Randy worked for at the time, but he would be the advanced scout that's watching the game for their game advancing on Wednesday. So I got a chance to, you know, sit next to guys like that. So there are many times when we talk about, different reasons why your mindset is what it is. You know, you say, um, hey, how much is an NBA coach uh, right. impact? Right. Um, you know, you have a scout that coached in the league or played in the league, and they'll give you an answer that is a lot different than what the fans think. Right. Well, the, you know, the fans also are – for as much as we love the fans and we we owe ourselves having jobs to the fans in many ways, the truth is is that the fan is a fan for a reason because they're not well, exactly the most objective. We've had Dave Sampson on the show a lot, and his podcast today talked about this, the difference how fans things and executives. I should have got that audio cut up and, and played it. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Maybe I'll try to get Dave on tomorrow. I really enjoy having Dave on the show, and he gives great perspective because he just doesn't care. I mean, he just <laughs> – listen – um, What's the name of the podcast again? Nothing personal. Nothing personal. Right, right. Uh, so Andrew continues to say, no coach has ever been able to get Embiid to buy into that. I wonder if Embiid will buy into it now that Jokic is in the finals. Can and I ask if a follow Jokic follow-up? wins the championship, if Embiid, who has essentially taken a lot of, I think, inner drive by the fact that Jokic just won these two MVPs, and he did not. He kept saying he didn't care, he didn't care. He cared. He cared that he did not win those MVPs, and he cared that he won the MVP this year. So now that he's won that MVP, is he now past that and on to this? My question is, are we really sure that past coaches have actually legitimately tried to get Embiid to play more in the post? No, I, I don't know that we know that, but I don't think – I think most of the coaches look at it and say, why would I try – what makes Joel Joel is the uniqueness that he brings. Like, people don't complain about Jokic. He doesn't play in the post. Like, primarily, he does a little. Put it this way. Joel plays in the post more than Jokic does. Yes, he absolutely does. He plays more in the post than any player in the league does. Jokic is like, it's like a point center, But basically. nobody complains that Jokic, who's the same size, 7 foot, 280 pounds, 
Nobody says you got to put him in the the paint. Right. So why do we do it for Joel? Well, because it's a double standard. It's the now, Jokic is a better passer, better, I think, court vision, all that stuff. But the point is, Jokic could play in the post all night long and probably be unstoppable. Of course. He's probably got – I was listening to a podcast about this on my way home the other day. They were talking about whether he is the greatest draft pick of all time. Because he was a second-round pick. He was a second-round pick. And the guy – I forget who it was – uh, was basically saying that in no way, shape, or form, like basically did people make a mistake on this guy. And he said, listen, when he went to the scouting combines, Jokic, he was up against like Carl Anthony Towns and Clint Capella. And he said on the court with those guys, when they were 18 years old, 19 years old, there was nobody in the gym that would say, this guy's better. Right. But part of the reason why is you're playing in a stupid AAU thing, all right? This is why this AAU stuff is nonsense. It's all one-on-one. That's not Jokic's game. Correct. What? Why Jokic excels is his passing. Well, the AAU coach isn't saying, hey, man, let's showcase your passing ability. <laughs> you're selling a guy like that short. So when he's on the court with all these other guys who are one-on-one – he doesn't shine. Right. So everybody's watching this guy, and they're like, how would you know that this guy is a Hall of Fame elite-level passer? Number one. Number two, what the guy in the podcast said, how would anybody know that watching this guy play in this combine event that you probably have the greatest big man touch around the basket of all time. I mean, the guy shoots like 65% of like from inside the paint. His touch in the paint is unbelievable. Why would anybody know that? You know, because you're playing in this stupid AAU event and they're not showcasing that talent from him. They're like, right. go up there and run with Carl Anthony Towns. Well, that's not what's helping. He's not going to excel in that moment. Right. So... Yeah, it was one of these things where how would you have known this? Like, he played well in his Serbian league, but how do you translate the talent that he's playing against? I would argue that Jokic is to the current draft process what Dirk was to the draft process after him and that both guys changed how you evaluated players like that because, like you just said, well, he's only playing against people that he's playing against in Europe. And I wonder how much this is going to ch- – how much he will change the draft process. I mean, this is his seventh or eighth. He was drafted in 14. He drafted the same year as Embiid. Yeah, so uh, people have had other opportunities to find guys like this. You can't. <laughs> it's hard. But, you know, I think that a part of the reason why Luca was drafted where he was is because they realized that the level of your competition is not as important as what you can and can't do. Um, I'm going to finish Andrew's text. He said, surprise and beat signed off on this. But then again, there weren't many options, were there? Yeah, there was a ton of options. I mean, they had six on the board, uh, three of which won an NBA championship. So just the six options the Sixers were interested in were on the board. Not to mention, Milwaukee hired Adrian Griffin. So there was an assistant that was highly thought of. 
There's another assistant that is on the list for Phoenix. Kenny Young. Kenny Young, who, by the way, was on, I believe, Brett Brown's staff. I'm pretty sure. He was for a year, I believe. Yeah, he, he was. Here in Kenny, Philly. Kenny Young was on the Cavs staff when LeBron was there. He was on Ty Lue's staff with the Clippers, too. But he was here and in he Philly here because J.J. Redick said that he played for him in Philly. Yeah, I guess so what year that there was. were a lot of options out there, Andrew. So Embiid signed off on this, I think, in part because he bought in. He's buying what Nick Nurse is selling. Put it that way. So keep that in mind. 609-403-0973. Mike, hiring Nick Nurse will hold defensively, but I think it spells more touches for Maxi and maybe a few less for Embiid if history is any indication of how Nick Nurse likes to use the big man. Um, Is that a problem? Look, if Maxi is ready for the challenge to take his game to the next level, then I'm okay with that. If you have, and I guess you're assuming that Harden is walking and that it's a Maxi and B team. So then, if that's the case, if it's a Maxi and B team, this offseason hinges a lot on Maury being able to do something with Tobias Harris. And that's going to be difficult. Kevin Young actually was with the Delaware, um, the Delaware 87ers before he got to the 76ers. Yeah, he was – I know he was here for – I remember the, seeing the guy, tall guy, like 6'11", right? Big, tall dude, long uh, beard. You've probably seen him standing in like that second row when uh, when Brett was the coach here. Mike, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> you don't get those text messages too often. You usually get, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Someone to say I agree with what you're saying is very uh, – it's not normal. Uh, absolutely, Nurse will have more success than Doc's. Teams need a spark with a new voice unless you especially uh, have an especially great coach. Great coaches are rare. Well, that's the thing, is that we act like there's 19, or even nine, <laughs> okay? There's not nine. We act like there's just a bunch of Eric Spolstras hanging around the NBA, Mike Budenholzer got fired because people were like, this guy, you know, Nick Nurse won a championship. He got fired. Doc Rivers won a championship. He stinks. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Winning championships, the coaches don't get credit for them. The fans still think they stink. So it's like, he won a championship. He's the most overrated coach of all time. Okay, give me five NBA coaches you think are difference makers? I always ask people, whenever they tell me they didn't like Doc Rivers, for example, I'd be like, well, how many coaches can you name that are better than Doc Rivers? And the problem is is that once you get past the you know three or four obvious names that people might bring up. Yeah, Spolstra. Yeah, it'd be like, yo, Spolstra. Yeah, people will bring up Popovich, you know. Notice that Popovich's name hasn't been brought up in about five or six years. Right. Like, nobody says Popovich anymore. They said it when he had great players. He right. doesn't have great players anymore. Nobody thinks that Popovich is in that list. Now, if you do, what kind of impact is he making? Right. People will bring up Steve Kerr. Like to bring up Steve Kerr because of obvious reasons. Steve Kerr, yep, M- multiple championships. You know, people who love Nick Nurse. I mean, I knew people who loved Nick Nurse for years in Toronto. So, you, but once you get past like a handful of guys, people act like there's all these you know coaches that are so much better than 
Doc Rivers or Brett Brown. It's like, that's not how it works. Cause if there were so many better coaches than that guy, that guy wouldn't have a job. Uh, 609-403-0973. Listen, I like Nurse. I don't know. I don't know how he impacts his team differently. What I think impacts his team differently, what has more of an impact to me than hiring Nick Nurse, who I like, is what does Daryl Morey do? What players does he get Nick Nurse? Because ultimately, the players win the games. The coach isn't winning the games. He sets the culture. He sets the style. Those things matter, but not more than who's on the court. Yeah. Just like the other night. If Duncan Robinson hits a wide open three, they win that series in six. Duncan Robinson misses the wide open three. We go back to Boston and play a game seven. If Jason Tatum doesn't get hurt in that game last night, are we talking about Joe Missoula? Look, people are like, this Missoula guy stinks. He needs to be fired. He's 34 years old. He's never coached before. He had 57 wins and went to the East game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. That really is a guy who stinks? Well, the other thing is, you know, no matter what you think of the coaches, I think anyone with a rational mind can realize that if White doesn't hit that last-second shot at the end of game six with a tenth of a second on the clock, you know, if it's, if it's a tenth of a second late, they lose the game. Miami wins on Saturday night, and we wouldn't have had a game last night. So, I mean, that's not Spolstra's fault or Missoula's credit. It's just a guy having the right place at the right time. Think about this, just to go back to that shot on Saturday night. If the shot bounces off the rim higher, they lose. Yeah. If it bounces off the rim to the left, they lose. To yep. the right, they lose. If the ball doesn't do exactly what it did, right. they lose that game. It's unbelievable when you think about the bounce that that ball took. Now, mind you, this is where I think you can say that Spolstra, as the coach, I'm not blaming him at all, by the way, but maybe had an impact of why they lost that game. You're the coach. you got to say, hey, you got to watch the inbounder. Right. Nobody watched the inbounder. He inbound the ball, ran to the corner, and had enough sense to run from the corner to the baseline and somehow tip that ball back in by not getting boxed out by anybody. Somebody has to be alert to follow the guy inbounding the ball. I mean, that's what you talk about in a CYO game. Hey, keep your eye on the inbounder. How did the coach not relay that? So if you want to say the coach kind of fell asleep at the wheel there when I'm not sitting look again I, I'm not blaming Spolster at all I'm just saying like think about all the things that had to go right in that moment Mike, you had to have, an idiot you had to have Spolster essentially not tell his players and we're assuming that he didn't tell his players we always make the assumption that well, they did it the other thing people make this assumption that coaches are they, they gotta make them do you can't make anybody do anything Doc Rivers is screaming at these guys on the sidelines on TNT's mic'd up thing, and nobody's listening to him. Like, if these guys don't want to listen to the coach, it's the coach's fault. Uh, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Ah, look at this. You know it's starting to get, like, summertime's here, but the Big Ten NBC September football schedule is starting to come out. You know what the first game is? What is it? WVU at Penn State. September 2nd, 7.30 in Happy Valley. Fancy. 
Maybe I'm going to go to that game. Oh, really? Maybe. I mean, why not? WVU, Penn I don't like driving to Penn State. That place down the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and getting in and out of that stadium is brutal. Well, isn't it like one way in, one way one out? One way in, one way yeah. out. I'll wait till Penn State comes to WVU the next year. <laughs> Sports Bash Live. More text messages, and I want to update the poll. Love it, hate it, or eh on Nick Nurse. That's next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 5.32, got some texts I want to get to. 609-403-0973. Hit me up on the text board. 609-403-0973. These Phillies fans are out of their minds sometimes. So I wrote this article at 97.3ESPN.com. You can check it out there. That it's an option the Phillies should consider to play first base. For instance, he's hitting 280 with four home runs against lefties this year. Okay? So if you have a pitcher who's left-handed, this guy can play first base. I'm not asking him to replace anybody or get anybody demoted. He's not going to help you like, uh well, I mean... Put it this way. He's a right-handed bat that hit 35 homers a couple of years ago, made an all-star game, and by the way, has good numbers against left-handed pitching this season, right? It's not like five years ago he had good numbers against right-handed pitching. This year, he has had good numbers against left-handed pitching. So he plays – I'm basically asking for him to play – in place of Sosa. So Sosa doesn't have to play every single day. He can go back into his role as kind of the super utility guy. Because I think we're seeing if Sosa plays every... By the way, Sosa's not even a third baseman. Not that I have a problem with him playing third base because I think he can handle it fine, but he's not a third baseman. But this year, Jesus Aguilar, against left-handed pitching, is hitting 280. His on-base percentage is 362. His OPS is 882. I mean, that's like very, very good. He has produced against left-handed pitching. Now, against right-handed pitching, 167. Struggling big time. But why not pick up a guy who can face left-handed pitching? And then you have Cody Clements, who, listen, I think Cody Clements has been a nice story the problem with Cody Clements is if you play Cody Clements every day and over, you know, expose him, you're going to start to get Cody Clements. So what you do is you maximize Cody Clements. How do you do that? You only hit him against right-handed pitching, where this year he's hitting 259 with four homers. Fine. On base percentage, 328. Uh, OPS, 845. Those numbers are, are fine. But against left-handed pitching, Cody Clements is hitting 143. So why not in those games against left-handed pitching, don't use him. Use a guy who matches lefties. Why do we have a problem with this concept, people? I don't get it. I'm lost. Oh, he's hitting 211. Yeah, he's hitting 211 because in Oakland, they were playing him every single day. You don't need to play him every single day in Philadelphia. And then guess what? You have a guy on the bench who can pop a home run from the right side of the bat. He could be the DH against left-handed pitching so that when you have, let's say Bryce Harper's back and ready to play the field, which I don't know when that's going to be. That could be until September. 
They need someone to get them from now to September, possibly. They need right-handed at-bats. They don't have them. You can't play Cody Clements every day. And when Cody Clements doesn't play first base, they're moving Boehm over there and they're playing Sosa. Well, Art, you're starting to find out that you cannot play Sosa this much. You just can't do it. You play Sosa this much, and I like Sosa, by the way. I think he's a, a winning type of player that you should have on your team. You hit Sosa every day, you're going to start to see Sosa struggle a little bit. And right now, I think Sosa's getting a little overexposed. And he's a guy that against left-handed pitching is hitting 320. I mean, 277. Against right-handed pitching, he's hitting 250. So you get a guy who doesn't provide a lot of pop, doesn't have a great on-base percentage. So why not use him in the role that he was brought here for? Hey, you need a day off Trey Turner at short? I'll play short. Hey, Stott, you need a day off at second base? There's a tough lefty. I can play second. Instead, they're having to play him at third base almost every single day because they don't have a right-handed bat in the lineup. So they're using his right-handed bat. I don't understand how people are fighting me on this. This is wild to me. We need pitching. Well, of course you need pitching. I mean, is there a rule that says you can't get two areas fixed at the same time? Uh, It's unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. 609-403-0973. All right, I got that off my chest a little bit. You feel better? I just don't understand people. Well, I can tell you what it is. is Well, you also, you write the article, and then the people don't actually read read the the article. article. That's what I was going to go to. I guarantee you most of those people who are saying that didn't even read it. Right. I said, did you read the article? I said he should play against left-handed pitching. Oh, no, I didn't read the article. Well, there's your first problem. It's clearly mapped out that he is an option to play against lefties. I'm not asking for him to replace Cody Clements. I'm not asking him. Now, here's the thing. People like Derek Hall. Why? Because he hits home runs. He's a left-handed bat, though. So it's either going to be Hall or Clements. I don't think you're going to get both of those guys. I think it's one or the other, right? In theory, yeah. You can't have both. Paul and Kate May. Let's get back into the text messages from the previous segment. Mike, I'm conflicted about the Knicks nurse hiring. I don't think he'd have a ring without Kawhi on that team. I got news for you, Paul. No coach is winning a ring without a player of that magnitude on their team. You can't name, <laughs> I say this Come all on, the time. Man. There's no been ever been a coach in NBA history who won a championship with a mediocre roster. It doesn't exist. Exactly. So I don't think you have a ring without Kawhi. Of course you wouldn't. You need a player of Kawhi Leonard's magnitude. I mean, that statement in of itself, it just, it's just brain-numbing. <laughs> uh, I mean, Greg Popovich wouldn't have a ring without... Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. <laughs> and Kawhi. And Kawhi. I mean, I'm conflicted. <laughs> Would Eric Sprolster have a ring without Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade LeBron. and Shaq and LeBron and Chris Bosh? Well, he might get one this year. I don't I, I don't know what to think about this one. But, no, these coaches are not going to have rings without pairing them up with the best player. I mean, maybe Jimmy Butler's just better than we all thought. I'm sure Embiid reached out to his Cameroonian brother Siakam for a reference and his opinion on Nurse. He must have been convinced, or just like the Doc firing, don't have, uh, didn't have any input. Um, no, he met with. No, the report was he met. They he met, met with, with each other. Nurse. Now he may have met with Nurse and had 
and the team could have said, hey, I hope you had a nice meeting. We don't care what you think. Sure, but I mean, you wouldn't. It's very convenient that they had the dinner meeting first and then the report comes out that he's getting hired. Yeah. I, it sounds like what happened was is they had a meeting. Both guys walked out of the meeting like, hey, everything's good. And they were like, all right, let's get this done. 609-403-0973. How, how many coaches, uh, how many leagues does a coach of the year get fired the same year like in the NBA? Shows the lack of importance in the NBA coach. We don't have to argue with, I'm not arguing with you there. I mean, you I don't know a league where the coach of the year gets fired more than the NBA. I mean, the NBA is one, but the NHL is a close second. Well, they don't generally win the coach of the year. They just fire guys like after like months. Yeah, well, they 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 change out guys like people change out underwear. So, um, the only guys available for hire were coach of the years and NBA champions. <laughs> Think about that. The only guys who are on the street right now are guys who have won the coach of the year award <laughs> or won NBA championships. So yeah, how impactful, how important is the NBA coach? I, I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't look at it the same way other people do. And believe me, I understand people get frustrated with the coach, but, and, and, and this was talking to Samson. If it, listen to Samson's podcast today about, um, how executives think differently and why they think differently and what they look for in a coach. Cause he was talking about Nick Nurse and the hiring. And he was saying that, you know, they don't, they're not worried about X's and O's and that kind of stuff. Can they keep the team together? Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff is what they value more than what fans do, which is like, can they find a right handed pitcher like Otani somewhere? Yeah, they're hanging around. <laughs> I think there's somebody pitching in the South Jersey South Shore Baseball League tonight that they can probably grab and throw him into the sixth spot. He'll probably be just like Otani. You get, you get a recommendation for the Phillies? <laughs> hey, guys, guess who I saw? Um, the Let's see. Mike, Harris for Lillard. Do you think Porton would engage in talks? Nope. That's a DOA trade. That's dead on arrival. Harris for Lillard? Are you kidding me? Mike, what's all this post stuff? He isn't tough like Shaq, but he can shoot. So let the man shoot. He had a brittle body, not his fault. But dude has a three-point shot, makes his his free throws and fouls, which Shaq and Duncan didn't as much. He's a new school big man. He can win. He has commit to body. He has to commit to body preservation and health. Humans are not meant to be that big. I've said that many times. Um, I don't. I don't know. like the idea that he's not tough. I was I, just going to say I don't know that he's not tough. And beat has fought through a lot of injuries. Put it this way, and JJ Redick was talking about this today. I think it was JJ Redick anyway. Embiid, like he is every year, hurt. And he said, look, every year, like, it's not his fault. It's not the coach's fault is what he said. Right. It's not the coach's fault that Embiid is hurt. But what happened last night? Tatum got hurt. Right. Are we blaming Tatum for getting hurt? No, it's Missoula's fault. <laughs> Somebody else got hurt. Um. Oh, Giannis was hurt in the first round, and they lost a couple games without him. That's correct. 
So, you know, like Embiid got hurt, and, and it constantly happens, and it's frustrating. But I don't know. He's basically – JJ's point was I would like to see Joel. <laughs> if he was healthy, what would the result of that playoff series have been? Yeah, there, there's a there's a common, common point around people who cover the NBA. They all say, especially former players, they, they – I've heard Isaiah Thomas say the same thing on NBA TV. I would just like to see Embiid be healthy for once. And it, nothing you could do about it. You know, I mean, a guy like Bill Walton, he had this amazing career, but he was barely healthy most of his career. Yeah. See this story? Um, so I guess Spolster, early on in his career, the players wanted him to they, – they wanted him fired. Yeah, they were not happy with him. Right. And Pat Riley said, you don't ever come in my office and tell me to fire a coach. Right? So we talk so much about patience and culture. Part of the problem is fans want culture. You guys are like, look at the heat culture. It's the coach. It's the culture. Yet you want the coach fired. You can't build a culture when you're constantly asking for the coach to be fired. Correct. And I think Denver is a prime situation right now this is a team that has constantly come up short they came up short multiple times and they stuck by michael malone and now he's in the championship which you can hear tomorrow night uh thursday night right here on 97.3 espn um all right we got uh do you remember coming up on the other side i got some good ones today including two phillies mentioned in the Do You Remembers uh, for today. So check that out coming up next year on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. We got that. And I want to tell you about my friends at Trio North Wildwood. You know, Memorial Day weekend's here, which means it's that time of the year. We're Friday night, Saturday night. You want to get out and do something. We'll start off with the pork chop at Trio North Wildwood. Get yourself a dessert. They got a tremendous menu. I love the appetizers. They got a great pizza selection down there at the BYOB, 700 New Jersey Avenue, North Wildwood. Now the summer season's here. It's time for the locals and the visitors to try something different. Do something different in the summertime. Hey, we've been hearing about this dinner, this restaurant. Make your reservations on Resi. It's a BYOB. It's a great little spot. Actually, it's not too small. It's got plenty of seating for a big party. It's one of those spots that you could do a bunch with. Bring a big party and uh, feed the whole group. Dinner for two. I love the spot. And now that the summertime's here, we all try to, you know, we got to get out more. The light, the energy. Do something different. Maybe even starting this weekend. They got the great, they got the meatloaf on the menu now, backed by popular demand. It wasn't on the menu when I was there. I got that pork chop, though. And I'll tell you, I don't order pork chop at a restaurant. That one was worth it. Trio, North Wildwood, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Do you remember coming up next to close out the show on 97.3 ESPN? Now, back to Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. South Jersey sports leader. I do remember on this day in uh, May 30th is the day. Do you remember on this day, 1989, 
this happened, and uh, I do remember this day in 1989. Take a listen. Some 18 years ago, I left Dayton, Ohio, with two very bad knees. And a dream to become a Major League Baseball player. I thank God that dream came true. Oh, boy. With that, the man who's worn number 20 for 17 years. Uh, Mike Schmidt retired on this day in 1989. He abruptly retired in the middle of the, well, not the middle of the season, uh, today. It was not even close to the middle of the season. Uh, he was struggling mightily and announced that he was retiring in San Diego. Mike Schmidt retired on this day, 1989, with that emotional speech. They were in the visiting clubhouse at the old Jack Murphy Stadium. Also on this day in 2010, Roy Halladay threw his uh, throws the 20th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. It was a one nothing win over the Marlins. Now there was a hockey game the Flyers played in that same night. I always forget which game it was though. Was it game one of the Stanley Cup or was it one of the games against Boston? Because they were down. And by the way, did you notice last night TNT didn't include the Flyers and the teams that had been down 3-0 and came back to win a series? They did leave that out, yes. That was uh, one of the ones that they left out last night. But on this day, 2010, Roy Halladay threw the 20th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. one nothing over the Marlins. Also on this day, Michael Jordan scored 54 points in a Bulls win. It tied the 1993 Eastern Conference Finals up against the Knicks in two games apiece with the most points that any player had scored in a game against the Knicks in any playoff. Michael Jordan on this day, 54 points. Yeah, it was Halliday threw a no-hitter, a perfect game on the same day the Flyers had a game, something happened. Flyers game on is May 29th, game 2 is May 31st. Still May 29th is yesterday, which is, I believe, when Halliday threw the perfect game. And since we were off yesterday, we used it today. Yeah. Have a great night.